This is the beat laboratory, ladies and gentlemen. I got chafing so bad on, you know, down below. Your balls? No, my, my, the actual, like the tip more specifically. Oh, your dick? Yeah. Was it chafing in your dick? Ooh. Yeah, it was, it was just rubbing. Welcome to the Fight or Die podcast. Here's your host, Adam Howarth, joined by Karen, Will, Nick, and our guest today is Sergeant First Class, Josh Walkington, joining us from Southern Wisconsin. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Pretty good. So a little bit different for this episode as opposed to being in our quote-unquote studio, we are all spread about. And so we're using this Zoom software like a lot of people are doing, a lot of podcasts transitioning over to this style, um, but we're going to get it done. We want to continue bringing content to you. For everybody at home, you know, I, I've known Josh for a little bit, um, kind of linking up through different, some of the different stuff we do in the community. Um, you know, that'll be one of the stories we'll probably ask you, Josh, is what your recruiter was like. But then interestingly enough, you <laughs> as a recruiter for yeah. a part of your career. And so, um, you know, what, what was your path like before you joined the military? Um, so unfortunately for all of those folk listening from Wisconsin and where we are now, I'm actually a fib. Uh, so born and raised down in Illinois. Uh, oh no! I know. I'm a, I'm a terrible. I'm a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> so <laughs> let it slide. You're safe here, man. You're safe. So and and uh, realistically, uh, sadly, I actually still live in Northern Illinois. Uh, I'm trying to oh, get God. out. Yeah. So I, I claim Wisconsin, though. Uh, so I grew up in a little town, Woodstock. Uh, they they oh, filmed yeah. the movie Groundhog's Day back in the day. Um, so I was up in Wisconsin, it, like Geneva, Madison, Milwaukee, all the time growing up. I was a big skateboarder, uh, wrestled, um, soccer, all the good stuff. So military was always something that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, would always play army and, and have airsoft gun wars and all that good stuff. Uh, but never thought I would be the guy who would join the military. You know, always wanted to, but I was like, I'm going to go to school, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so after I graduated high school, uh, I tried to do a junior college, uh, made it a whole three weeks into the semester before <laughs> I decided to drop out and, uh, you know, um, started working at a uh, magazine printing company that was in the area. Um, just really wasn't doing a whole lot with my life though. I started seeing, I was hanging out with the wrong crowds, you know, getting in trouble. Um, and I needed to grow up pretty fast. So that's turned to the, turned to the recruiter and one of my buddies who was uh, infantry active duty, reached out to him. He started sending me pictures of his, his M4 and some of the training they were doing. And I'm like, I want to do that, you know. So, so what year was this then? What year were you kind of starting to? Um, so this is like the end of end of 07 is when I was looking. Oh, wow. So you, um, are, you already knew the landscape. You already knew we were in two countries. We had a lot going on. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we were right in the prime of everything. Um, and I just wanted to, like I said, you know, I wanted to fight and I wanted to protect and, and do all that good stuff. So um, hit up the recruiter one night. It was like 11 o'clock at night, went online to the Army <laughs> website put in my information next day, got a call, was in his office. And a month and a half later, I was, uh, you know, enlisting and shipping down to Benning. So. Yeah. And so what kind of contract did you initially pick up? So when I went on active duty, um, I solely came in for a three year 11 x-ray. So the active duty is, is, and this is kind of jumping forward a little bit into the guard stuff, but so let, uh, active duty does infantry recruits, whereas the guard we can do an 11 Bravo, an actual infantry uh, soldier, 
or we can do an 11 Charlie, which is a mortarman soldier. Um, yeah. So infantry on the active duty side, you come in as what's called an 11 X-ray. Um, so when you get down to basic, they basically go, all right, now this half of the group, you guys are going to stay for an extra two weeks and do mortar training. This half of the group, you're just doing 11 Bravo stuff. Um, so I had nothing in my contract whatsoever. I was told by my recruiter that I had airborne, uh, which I didn't. Oh. <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, back then though, it was kind of nice. I wasn't upset that much about it because the bonuses were a little bit higher back then than they are now. Um, so for three years, I only, I got $25,000 sign on bonus for just Holy a three year gig. Yeah. Damn. So I was pretty stoked about that. So I was like, yeah, airborne, uh, uh, whatever. Um, so yeah, so uh, just did 11 x-ray the infantry recruit got down to benning um and that's you know picked it all up from there so was it oset only at benning at that time or were there still mixed companies coming through no it was still oset uh it, yeah it was still oset however well no i guess that's not true we did have some individuals that were doing i think there were more guard individuals that were doing split up you know the high school juniors um they were down there just for the, you know, 10 weeks or nine weeks, whatever it was of basic. Um, when they, when we did the basic graduation, they all took off. We had like a 36 hour pass and then we rolled right into the, the AIT portion or, you know, the, the infantry stuff after that. So what's, um, what's a uh, training battalion were you in or what company were you in? Cause Will, oh, Will and I both in our basic training at Benning. Um, I think I, I want to say I was alpha two, five, four. Okay. I was Charlie two, four, seven. Okay. And so we were right next to the shop at and the rubber field that you did. Yep. Yep. All of the stuff down there. I was, I was like the first one right up the hill from 30th AG. It's like you go up that hill and then like right on top of the hill there, that was where I was. And then you went down the hill and that's where I believe you were saying you guys were at right by the shop at and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Did you even, um, did you even, they even put you in cattle cars coming out of 30th AG or did you guys just walk? No, we had to throw our bags on our back and we just hiked up the hill. (laughs) I mean, it was only, I mean, it was, it was literally less than maybe a half a mile, you know? So yeah, everybody else loaded up in the cattle trucks. We're like, okay, like, here we go. This is it. And all of a sudden like our drill sergeants just come down, like, let's go get your bags on your backs. Let's start walking. We're like, oh no, what do we get into? Yeah. Those cattle cars are something else. There's, there's oh my gosh. No, uh, nothing further reinforced the feeling that I was property <laughs> than loading on the, <laughs> one of those things with like way too many other people. I'm like, Seriously. where are we going? Like, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for them to pull out like a little tat gun, you know, and start giving us ear tags of numbers. Like here, you're exactly. not now, no more private. You are now one, two, four, eight. It's like, okay, Roger. <laughs> I remember even coming in from Atlanta's airport, they put us on a chartered bus and I, I'm going to guess the driver must've been prior service or something because he wouldn't even let us put our feet up on the little rest that your feet would go up on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it had, had to be down. You couldn't talk. I'm like, dude, what, what do you mean? I'm not even there yet. I'm already having to do it. Yeah. I'm like, it's like nine o'clock at night when I rolled in too. So yeah. I was like, you know, let me have some, some social time. <laughs> no, yeah, they're strict. And then uh, there's nothing like that moment when you realize something that you thought was not luxurious is all of a sudden super luxurious. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember when I didn't want that. Now that's all I want. Right. I remember some of the guys coming in and they had just like ridiculous heads of hair, beards, and they were given nothing but a straight regular razor to get their head cleared off and shaved and everything right away. I was like, oh Man. my gosh, that sucks. That's miserable. I at least had the common sense to to shave my face at the hotel before I shipped out of MEPS that night before. Uh, See, I I was one of the guys that came in. So like I said, I was a big skateboarder, um, you know. So what I would do is I would let my hair grow, 
like all year long. And then I would buzz it right before wrestling season, you know, keep it kind of shorter during wrestling season. And then I wouldn't touch it again. Well, I was the one who didn't heed everybody's warning um, to trim my hair before I go down to basic. So I had hair down to my shoulders. It was all wavy, you know, looking like sunshine from, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. The Titans, yeah. 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 That was, that Aww. was, it wasn't, I wasn't blonde, but that was me. Uh, and so I had, I had a target on my back for a little while from some of the drill sergeants down there for sure. I bet they loved you, man. Yeah. Yeah. What was your basic training nickname? Uh, I, so I ended up actually funny nickname. I got picked up, um, was IHOP. Oh boy. Um, yeah. so, I hopped down a Waffle House country. Yeah, right. So you know how you know you get into the chow hall and you've got seven minutes to eat. You know, yeah, yeah. You sit down, and you just shovel, shovel, shovel. Well, I would every day. I would always get the French toast, and I would take peanut butter and syrup, and I would take about five minutes, and I would make really extravagant looking waffles with peanut butter and syrup all over it, and I would just and shovel it down. And so the drill sergeants were like, "What? What the hell is this? You you working at IHOP or you know?" I'm, <laughs> So I got nicknamed IHOP from there on out. So it was good. You know, I, I needed to eat. I was tiny when I, I was tiny when I enlisted. So I needed I needed to get some couple pounds on me. Were you well conditioned? Um, when I showed up, I was yeah. not in the best of shape. Um, because I mean I, um, so I graduated. Did you work out at all before you went? No, I was a skater. So I had like the cardio and like the legs. Um, but as far as like. I think my very first PT test I did down there, I did like 28 push-ups in two minutes. And I was like super excited. Oh, but that's brutal because <laughs> wow. they, they smoked the shit out of you the night well, before. Well, true, right. You, you get, get the dog shit. Yeah. The next day. yeah, exactly. You get the dog shit smoked out of you. And then, you know, I've done push-ups in the past and I, you know, I could do more than 28. Um, but it's a little bit different when it's, like you said, you're tired, you just got smoked up and now you're doing them where you can't take a break or at least, you know, go down to your knees or anything, you know, the, the APFT standards and stuff. So it's a little bit different. But yeah, I was tiny. I was like a buck forty, buck fifty ish. What did you come um, out of basic training at? One seventy four. Yeah, Ooh, dude, that's a lot. That. Yeah, I was cut. I look good. Just all muscle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was you know like I finally for the first time since I'd really been wrestling, and it had been a year because I didn't wrestle my senior year um, because I ended up graduating a semester early, so I would have missed you know a good bulk of the season, so I just didn't wrestle. Um, but I was finally, you know, eating decently, sleeping as much as the drill sergeants would let you, and then just constantly getting smoked up, you know. And most of you guys were were in around that same time, or maybe even a little bit before. So, um, you know, you could actually smoke people back then, to where now you oh, can't yeah. do a whole lot. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I think I counted one day, and in one day we did something like three thousand push-ups, and that was just one <laughs> exercise that we had done throughout the day. You know, and, so, and nowadays, so I, have to, oh, sorry. I have to ask, like, what do you mean you can't smoke people anymore? Because I've heard people say that, <laughs> but I, I need to understand that more. <laughs> um, I, are you sure? Like, do you have good memories of the army right now? Because this might yes. totally taint your, your yes. vision of the army nowadays. <laughs> oh, uh, God. So, so you cannot drop somebody for, uh, it's technically 20 reps of, of an exercise um everything's eight count and everything's eight count so <laughs> and you can't do repetitive so like i can have you do push-ups and then i can have you get up and do like squats but then i can't put you right back to push-ups i can do the same kind of muscle group it's really weird and i'm not a drill sergeant so i don't know the whole regulation 
Um, but there's no more just like basically push until you smash your face on the ground because you literally can't push anymore. Um, so like those experiences that I think most of us had where it was like they would take you out to a field and yeah. you would just do random ass exercises, For hours. roll around in the grass. Does that still happen? No. <gasps> it, I'm sure it does to an extent, but that's where you start getting people that start getting punitive action against them for hazing. What? You're telling me they're not even, making sugar cookies anymore down there? Even, no. Sugar cookies. Uh, <laughs> I even, forget about those. those even, in, uh, even in, even in, and we'll, again, we're going to get into this a little further. So I'm sorry, Adam, for jumping ahead. But even no, when I was, uh, even when I was in range regiment, you know, the last few years that I was there before I got off active duty, uh, we were having dudes that would uh, get article 15s to get bumped down a rank for uh, hazing. And this is range regiment. You know, we were supposed to be an elite oh. unit and I look at every day like I got the shit hazed out of me constantly, but yeah. it's, it's like rites of passage. Yeah. You know? That's, that's like right. a nurturing. selection process. Aggressive yeah. Well, nurturing. Yeah. And it makes you feel it. good. Like after you're done, you're like, Oh my God, like I almost just died literally. And like, but I did it. And it makes you feel that much more confident about yourself, your body, you know, and just your, your mental uh, ability is just progressed so much further. Yeah, people pay a lot of money for that sort of experience as civilians. You know, they pay a lot of like monthly fees to go to whatever box and and do a group fitness yeah. class and, you know, get screamed at a tiny, tiny bit. And now it's hazing in the military. Like, what? <laughs> we sad. could go down that rabbit hole too, but there's the, those cold dum-dums that always take it too far. Like that video of the kid getting hit in the chest with the mallet. Like the drill sergeants were experts at – building people like breaking them down and building them up. Like that's what the drill sergeants do. Right. But then there's the guys that think that they're being funny and actually hurt people. Right. What were you, uh, Karen, we, we kept cutting you off. What were you trying <laughs> to say? No. Well, I mean like there, there is a, there is hazing. Yes. Like, but there's a difference between having someone do a shitload of PT and having someone like drink a spit bottle. Like, right. I would consider that hazing but not the PT side of it. Like, I feel like the PT side of it was very much a teamwork, like team building, you know, self-confidence kind of thing that you went through together. Yeah. So, but then, you know, there was other stuff that happened that I would consider hazing, but I don't think the PT aspect of it ever was really hazing. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely been a huge paradigm shift to where, I mean, there's still, like you said, the, yes, the hazing is, a lot more of the of the incidents that have happened have been something that are more demeaning in things like what you were saying, but there has been instances and one of my buddies got removed from a team leader position, lost his, lost his sergeant rank, got bumped down to a specialist for solely just PTing the living crap out of somebody. And the kid just was, was just a young little, you know, 18 year old, fresh out of airborne and, and ranger selection, got to the unit before his first deployment and, uh, I don't remember what it was that he messed up. Like he even had, I, I don't remember the whole situation. So I apologize. Um, but I do know that there was a valid reason they were doing some training and, and something happened in that training that warranted, like, I'm going to beat your, I'm going to beat your ass. So you don't do this ever again. Cause if this was the real life, you probably would have killed somebody. Yeah. And uh, even when you, you know, went in front of the board with the Sergeant major and everybody else and explained that. And they're like, we got to follow certain guidelines nowadays. Like, you know, like you look back in the eighties, like, yeah, this shit wouldn't have even, we wouldn't have batted an eye at it. But nowadays, like, you know, here we are in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, like 
here's where we are. You know, we're getting a lot more nurtured individuals coming out of all their training that, you know, they just can't hack it. And I don't know. So, so what do you do if you have an instance now where it's like a soldier legit does something that it's like, dude, you would get somebody killed for that mistake. <laughs> How do you correct that now? Like you just so, like, don't do that anymore. Here's a counseling. So I, from what I've seen it. And so I'm, I'm in a different case because like Adam said, you know, I've, I've spent the last couple of years in the recruiting world now. Um, so I've got to even be a little bit further, you know, withdrawn from all of that. Uh, I, as a recruiter, you're more of on that friendship level with all of your individuals, you know, like you still have to instill that military aspect into them of, look, I'm, I'm a sergeant or a staff sergeant or sergeant first class and you're a private, like, yeah, when we're out of here and we, I see you in schools, you know, call me Josh and, and you're Joe, you know, and we're going to hang out and it's just going to help everybody. Um, so, you know, but what you got to be withdrawn from it. Um, so I didn't have that as much in the recruiting command when it comes to like somebody really messing up, you kind of expect it with some of them because they haven't had training, right. you know, everything that they have been yeah. trained, we're kind of teaching them. So at the end of the day, like if they mess something up, chances are it was poor instruction on our, on our behalf. Um, now, you know, I just took this, when I got this promotion to Sergeant first class, um, I'm actually moving up towards Reedsburg up near the Dells and taking over uh, Charlie troop 105th cab up there. It's an infantry recon unit there. Um, so I'm taking over as the readiness NCO and on, on drill weekends, I'll be a platoon sergeant. So it's kind of getting back into the the infantry mentality. So I don't know how they do things. I'm sure different units, you know, they kind of got their different things that they'll do. Right. Um, but what I have seen though, like thus far kind of since the things have changed so much of it has gone to the, like the counseling, just counseling somebody on it. Like, uh, on today's date, you know, you're being counseled for this because you failed to do this and this is what could have happened. And, and they, they paper trail everything in hopes that they can maybe build a packet to like boot somebody in the future if they have enough negative counselings and get them. Mm -hmm. what I, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So that's a rough road for me because, you know, in our buildup from 2002 to 2005, when we finally rolled out, there was a big difference between like a garrison soldier and a deployment soldier that like some of the guys that weren't that great in garrison were studs in the, when we deployed, but then some of the guys that were normally studs in garrison kind of just faded away and didn't do that well when they're deployed. So like, to me, that's, that's where I worry is you can't carry some, you know, you can't give a little tough love to get somebody to deployment where they need to shine. Right. For sure. Um, so if you want, so you were asking kind of to get this whole thing started, um, the contract that I came in as. Um, so like I said, is, is I just came in as that normal 11 x-ray. Yeah, how'd um, you end up in bat? How'd you get that? So yeah, so in, in basic training, um, and for those of you that went to Benning, uh, I know that they did it specifically more at Benning because that's where everything is kind of located. Um, but the drill sergeants one day were like, hey, you know, we've got these option 40 contracts. We have six of them for the battalion or whatever. And it's going to go to the top six, you know, PT shooters, no, da, 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 da. So I had no idea what it was. Uh, like I said, I, I really, um, I, as much as I say that I, I really kind of always thought of joining the military and didn't know much about it, you know, so I didn't know like what Rangers were. I didn't really know what special forces was or anything. Um, I was like, yeah, sure. Hell throw my name in the pot, you know, let's see what happens. Um, so we're going through, you know, all the training and things and three of my buddies ended up picking them up and I'm like, yeah, maybe it's just not going to happen. Um, what is it like the week before, um, basic graduation, when you start to transition into AIT, 
uh, if you're on active duty is when they kind of pull all the active duty guys and like, Hey, we got your orders and you're going to be going here, 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 here. So I found out that I was supposed to go to Korea. Um, <sighs> and me and a guy that I met down at Chicago maps who I enlisted with, uh, we flew out together. We were in the same basic company, just different platoons, but we both pulled Korea. We were the only two to pull Korea out of the whole, uh, uh company. And so we're like, cool, dude, like, we'll fly back to Chicago, hang out with the family for a few days. I'm like, let's meet up in O'Hare. We'll fly out. We'll chill in LA for like three days, you know, just kind of live it up before we go to Korea for the next year to two. And uh, he's like, yeah, man, that sounds good. Well, then the day of basic graduation, drill sergeant calls my number. And I was thinking like, fuck, you know, the only time drill sergeant calls you is you're getting in trouble. So I'm like beating my head, like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? You're like, I'm going to lose my little 36 hour pass. And uh, he calls me in and he's like, Hey, Washington, you know, you've, you're over 300s now on your PC test. You called, you know, expert, like you haven't had trouble. We're doing good. I have a, I have a Ranger contract for you. You know, you said you wanted it. I've got one for you. And I'm like, well, I don't know, drill sergeant, you know, like I'm supposed to go to Korea and I'm pretty excited about it. And you know how drill sergeants never take their, the Brown round off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He broke character. He took his hat off. He sets it on his table. And he goes, Walkington, don't be a fucking idiot. He's like, this is, <laughs> this is an airborne ranger contract. We were talking about you are signing this contract. And I was like, Roger that drill sergeant. I guess I'm signing this contract, you know? So that's, that's, that's how I got it. So I, um, you know, I, I graduated how that basic. Your, uh, how has that influenced your recruiting style? Like a moment like that? Um, you know, w- with my recruiting style, like, like how I said with my recruiter kind of BSing me, telling me I had airborne and all that other stuff. And then, you know, um, you know, that kind of coming to where he breaks character and it has that moment of truth. Um, I, I made, I made a pact to myself that when I started recruiting, like I would be as open and honest as I possibly could. And I'm not, I'm not a sales guy. I, I have nothing but respect for sales individuals, but I, I can't do it. Uh, in recruiting is sales, right? So it's really hard for me because I would not sell somebody. I viewed it as, this is the military, you know, I don't want to sell somebody like you either want to serve for the right reasons or you don't. And if you are waiting to hear something that you're trying to buy, I don't want to fucking work with you. Right. So I really, I I mean, I probably talked more people out of enlisting than I actually got in. Um, I probably pushed a fair amount to active duty, just telling them kind of what it is, you know, because I would see, I would see a lot of kids that I would see myself in. Like right. some of the kids that might've been a little bit in troublemakers or what are they? And I'm like, you know, they're like, I really want to do the military cause I think it's going to help with me. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But not the guard because what's going to happen is you're only going to go away for five, six months. So you might grow up a little bit, but then you're coming back here and guess what? All those people that are not doing anything with their lives that you're getting in trouble with now, they're still going to be there, but now you're in the military. So now you get yourself in trouble and you're doing a lot worse than they are if they get in trouble, not being in the military. And so I would, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Like, so I would actually, I was, I had a really good relationship with the active duty recruiters. Uh, I was out of Janesville. Um, so I had a really good relationship with the active duty recruiters there. So I called them quite a bit and I'd send them, Hey, this guy wants to go active, you know, take him. Yeah. That so, seems reasonable. And yeah. to your credit, you seem like the kind of guy who would feel bad if he put a shit bag into the service, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, like I said, I, uh, I would look at somebody, you know, if, if, if I could see myself, working with them, serving with them, going to war with them. All right, let's do it. If not like, Hey dude, I'll take, you know, luckily I never got a congressional, but I was, I was like, if I get a congressional, you know, someone coming and investigating me cause I'm not doing my job right. 
because technically as a recruiter, you're not able to technically disqualify somebody, right? You can let the regulation disqualify them um, or MEPS, but I can't be like, I'm just not going to work you because whatever. I could get in trouble for that, but it so You can't have like a personal opinion about it, right? Correct, right. Yeah. It, yeah. So, yeah, so like, you know, they got to come in and if they're open and honest and there's something that like just personal, like you said, a conflict or something, like I got to push that aside because I have a job to do and I'm supposed to work that person. Now it happens, and, you know, and, and, and I mean, I'm guilty of it to where I'd be like, you know what, like, I'm not just, I'm not doing that. And I'd either pass them off to somebody else or I'd kind of just not call them back. And usually they don't call you back, you know, and hey, cool. I just brush that problem off the shoulder type thing. But when you started working guys to get, you know, to at least have a discussion about maybe guard or reserve versus active duty, did you ever start to discuss like, um, like VA benefits, you know, if guys come back and they just drill in the guard and they finish up their contracts, they technically don't qualify for VA healthcare. Correct. And so they could come and do all this stuff and technically have served, but still really not get the full range of benefits. And I feel like that alone sometimes could be something that could put somebody over the edge. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we do talk, so like they've really kind of narrowed it down um, to the things that they want you to talk about, you know, just so you're not diary of the mouth on these applicants, you know, everything out there is on the web nowadays. So most of the time when you meet with somebody, they've already done their research. They've got on Google, they've got on all the different websites and they've read it. So they know what they're looking into. Um, so when they come and talk with you, they're really just trying to do like a fact check to see if you're going to pull their leg and lie to them. Uh, but some of the things like you said though, you know, it's not so easily available to find as far as like the VA benefits go. So like one thing I would talk about, um, you know, is, is more of like the VA home loan side of the things. Mm, yeah. I, I really wouldn't want to get too much into the medical because then if, I, I feel like if I talk medical stuff, they might think like, well, what's going to happen to me if I'm in the military that I oh, need yeah, to worry about home. medical benefits in the future, you know? And obviously that's a real thing. But when you're talking to an, an 18, 19 year old kid, the last thing you want to do is be like, oh my God, you're going to get your leg blown off and you're going to need VA care for the rest of your life. Or, you know, you're going to have a TBI and you're going to need something, you know, wh whatever it might be. Um, so I would talk more of like the VA home loans. And yes, I would bring up, you know, if you just do a normal National Guard contract, chances are you're not going to meet the minimum year requirements to be eligible for it. Um, you know, and, and I would actually do that. I would do that even more so when I would talk with the unit that I worked out of. So in, in Janesville, like on weekend drills, I'd go in there and I would talk more with the individuals you know, for like a retention brief. Like, hey, why do you want to get out? Well, it's just not what I thought it was. And I just want to start using my benefits. Well, okay. Uh, you only been drilling for four years now. You don't have shit for benefits realistically. You know, here's what you need to do in order to get this, this, and that benefit. And they'd be like, I didn't know that. My recruiter didn't tell me that, you know? Um, yeah. So. I think mine probably got me on the, the education benefits at the time. You know, I was a fib as well. So Illinois state benefits were pretty awesome. Wisconsin is caught up now. And, um, but the home loan benefit I've used that and oh, holy shit. Is that probably, the, like, I think you're spot on it's with that. The it's the best. It's awesome. Yeah. They work with you. They get you to close on time. Like the, my, even my, um, my broker, my agent, like they didn't really see any problems or said right now on this market, VA is actually pretty good and we're getting to close on time. And, you know, we got an accepted offer. We got a beautiful house. Like it was just, it was, it was stellar. I couldn't sell that benefit more. Or home yeah. Loan stuff. Yeah. It's probably In the Wisconsin? best. I mean, just nationwide. Uh, it's just, it, I've, I bought two houses out in Washington. No, one house in Washington. And then I bought a house in Illinois before my divorce. Um, and I mean, it's yeah, like you said, it's, they, they make sure you're at close on time and they usually try to make sure everything's expedited so you can close pretty quick. 
the no closing costs um, is huge or uh, sorry, the um, no money down, you know, mm -hmm. like if you use like FHA or something, it's usually like 20% down. Um, if you're service connected, they waive the funding fee. Like, yeah. I don't know how it came out, but my broker had it to where we got money back at close. That was enough money to cover the cost of our movers. And then That's we didn't have a rent payment and we didn't have a mortgage payment that nice. month. So then like, yeah. you know, then we could afford to like recarpet some of the rooms and things like that and just came in and it was just smooth and it was slick. And I was like, holy shit, like life yeah. is good now. It's, it's nice. Was that your, <clears throat> sorry. I might be getting confused between state and federal benefits in Wisconsin versus Illinois versus U.S. stuff. So, so about the, the regular GI Bill, right? But the process to qualify for all that is much different for National Guardsmen because they accumulate points as it correct. relates. Correct. Yeah. So for like the VA home loan to use federally, um, I believe it's a six year, you need to have like six years of service. And everything in the VA and, and just like, um, I mean, anything, if like you're getting boarded for, you know, you, you hit a certain rank and you've been in for too many years, they'll board you to kick you out type stuff. Now they always go off of your active federal service. So it's like a guardsman, you're only accruing, you know, like 48 days of active duty time per year. Plus if you have a deployment or schools or whatever gets added into it. So it's a little bit harder to catch up. And I believe now, I want to say that they did actually redo something with the VA home loan to drop it down for guardsmen. So it's not so hard because six years of active duty time, if you just do guard is a long ass time. You know, if you never deploy, if you're just doing AT drill and maybe a school a year, or every other year, it's, it's going to take you a hot minute to get up to six years of federal service, you know? Right. So, but yeah, that's, we were talking more of that as far as like the other benefits go for like your GI bill and stuff. Um, like what Adam was saying, you know, Wisconsin's got really good stuff nowadays as far as, um, you know, Illinois, Illinois, the way that the guard benefit works down here is they basically just waive the tuition for any state school. Um, so you sign up, you know, to U of I, to Northwestern, to whatever, and they basically just waive the tuition. Um, Wisconsin's very similar. They don't waive it. They just give you 100% tuition reimbursement, and it goes up to UW-Madison rates for in-state. So like you can still use it from out of state. So if, if I were living in Illinois and decided to go to Whitewater, um, I would get the reimbursement up to in-state UW-Madison costs, um, which is going to cover like 80% of out-of-state UW-Whitewater costs, you know, and it only goes towards tuition. So you still have like room and board and other stuff like that. But um, the nice thing about that, is, so that one's called the Wisconsin Tuition Reimbursement Grant. It's a uh, it's a reimbursement. So it kind of sucks because you still have to take out a loan or have the money up front. But as long as you go through the semester and you maintain a 2.0 GPA, which is relatively simple. I mean, if you're in college God. and you can't pull a 2.0, you a probably 2 shouldn't be in college. Yeah. <laughs> Some programs will kick you out if you're that low. Exactly. Um, so as long as you do that, you get the money back and it comes in a check directly to you in the mail um, and everybody qualifies for it. So even if you haven't been to basic AIT, so like as soon as somebody signs up, like they're at MAPS, they take the oath, they have that benefit right? Then the other GI bills that are coming more from the VA, you know, as far as like your GI, like your 1606 and your chapter 31s and stuff, those you need to be MOS qualified and meet whatever requirements for all that type stuff too. So, Dude, look at how far you've come, man. All the way from that drill sergeant setting down his round brown, Shit, giving you right. a, a heart to heart talk and, and here you go. Stealing, stealing 500 bucks off some kid for betting me that I wouldn't stick my hands in fire ant hills. <laughs> yep. So then what made money then? at basic. So, that was weird. I made a lot of money in basic. 
you did your basic <laughs> training graduation and then your buddy's going to go back to Chicago yep. without you. And then yep. you just go like, go over to the airborne school or what happened next? Yeah. So right across from the parade field where there's the graduation, they had two little, uh, the mobile homes there and that was airborne hold. So I spent awesome two weeks in airborne hold, just hanging out, doing PT. Um, then they, yeah, it was great. Bought a car in Airborne Hold like they advise you not to right oh off. Oh, God, of yes. Right down on it. Bad bad boy. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to really know how much? Let's the hear the interest rate. 19%. <laughs> yeah, there yes. it is. Wow. You're looking good, though. I was, I was like, I'm a, I'm a PV2 with a fresh car. Like, I got some money coming in. But dude, I bet the t-shirt right and the ring guy was just salivating when he saw you. He's like, <laughs> I'm going to be selling this dude everything. Dude, at the at Peachtree at the mall there finance this laptop and finance the cell phone. Oh, oh my gosh. Finance uh, everything, man. Everybody's financing your haircuts. Uh, ser- yeah, yeah, right. Um, so yeah, so anyways, I spent two weeks uh, in the mobile homes and then they hop you on buses. Uh, luckily it was buses, not cattle trucks at this point. Take us over, or they took us over to, uh, to main post, dropped us off at Airborne. Um, three weeks there. So you do, you know, the, the ground, the tower and jump week. Um, had a buddy there who got kicked out for coming to a formation drunk. Oh shit. Nice. Uh, yeah. Idiot. Um, <clears throat> so then as soon as that was done, uh, everybody else usually takes off, you know, they start getting their orders going to 82nd or Italy or wherever, you know, um, Alaska, etc. Um, and then if you had the option 40 and you were going to at, at the time it was rip, uh, Ranger indoctrination mm-hmm. program. It's now RAS, uh, Ranger assessment and selection program. Um, a bunch of guys from regiment came down and made you march up, you know, the mile from airborne school to, to where a third, uh, third ranger battalion was. And you start getting the living dog piss smoked out of you. They had a huge table filled with pizzas. They was saying like, all you got to do is quit and you guys get your own pizza. And like <laughs> 15 people just walked over there and started eating pizza. And, just watching you, uh, just, just watching you get your dog shit smudging, <laughs> just munching pizza, and you're just you know this was this was August. Uh, this was ju- ju- this was July, July yeah, in Benning. Yeah, hot as balls there. Yeah, so oh. July, July in Benning. Um, you know, we just marched up a, a mile with your bags and everything, and then they start smoking you on a blacktop little slab, um, and that was on a Thursday. <clears throat> So then Friday, Saturday, we kind of had off, like getting yourself mentally prepared, et cetera. Um, Sunday, we had a formation. They called it day zero. And we were the largest at the time. We were the largest uh, class to come through in history. Usually they had 160 tops. We were at about 320 when we started. Holy cow. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So for the next three and a half weeks of rip, they literally sole focus was to get as many people to quit as possible. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you know, they have, they only have a certain amount of people that they can technically graduate to push out. Right. They can't overstock too much in the units. So, um, day zero formation was, I believe it was like 1800 and, I don't know, 30 people showed up just in civvies when we were supposed to show up in PTs. They showed up in civvies saying, we don't want to be here anymore. Like, why did you wait until now to say that you didn't want to right. be here? Like, you went through everything when we were just here a few days ago and now we're getting, you know. What about you know, pizza day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Serious, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, they had pizza. pizza I, don't, I don't get it, you know. So, uh, but then, yeah, from there on out, I mean, for the next four days, we had double digits dropping out every day, you know, 20, 30 here and there. Uh, we dwindled down really fast. Um, so we go was through it all. Was there like a ceremony for it? Like, did you have to like 
like ring a bell or something or was it just no you just, they just, you just you just stand up and say i quit and then they take you yeah, in they counsel you and they, they send you what's called worldwide because they literally you sit there for a week or so and they pull orders to send you needs of the army anywhere in the world um you know and usually they're going to airborne units since they're airborne qualified coming right after airborne school um but not always sometimes they'd get stuck in like a, a mech unit you know just in right there in bending you're going over to you know the yeah. fourth idea or whatever yeah, um, third idea. Or third idea, sorry. So, uh, yeah, it, there, I wish there was more. And maybe they've incorporated something now. I don't know if they want to do the bell because that's too much like the seals or something. Yeah, right. But, yeah, right, it's right. literally you just – they would stand up and I'm, I'm done. I just don't want to be here. All right, come that's with me. enough. I could not imagine doing that, standing up and saying, yeah, yeah oh, I fucking no. suck. Like, right. well, nobody, nobody <laughs> should ever depend on me the rest of my contract. <laughs> like, can you imagine you get to your incoming unit and they're like, hey, where'd you come in from? And you're like, oh, I decided to quit ranger school. On I quit. Zero. I quit it. Yeah, it, was, it just wasn't me. Here. I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a good be, soldier, but. I would have to be like crawling, like unable to get up. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. would take so much. Like, oh. Yeah. Do you guys, did you guys not have any of your peers just drop out in regular basic training? Um. We had private Friday, man. Private Friday was a shit bag. (laughs) We we weeded him out. I don't, I don't remember. We did have one guy. I don't remember his name. Um, He didn't really quit. He went AWOL. That's uh, like so I mean, yeah. Like, so I mean, he, was, he was quitting the <laughs> army. I mean, he was he was like, oh, this this whole army thing is like, no, nah, man, I'm I'm better than this. Um, so he went AWOL. They found him like in 20 minutes. He hadn't made it very far, you know. Um, so they brought him back, and then they ha- they put him they put him on fire guard. So now all of us got to start pulling like watch on this dude. So I had the I had the shift uh, right before it was time to wake everybody, or like when it was time to wake everybody up. So I flip on the lights, you know, everybody starts getting up, doing their stuff. Well, what we had to do is we had to take a bunk and put it in the kill zone, you know, in the center of the big bay. And he was like sleeping on that. And he like lights come on, he covers himself and just keeps laying in bed. And I'm like, yo, dude, I'm like, get the fuck up, man. And he wouldn't get up. So I just take his bunk and I flipped it on him. And then he got in my face like he wanted to fight. And I was like, dude, like, dare you, you know? And I look uh, around, man. There's 80 yeah. other dudes. <laughs> we we <laughs> all... You, yeah, you, you've seen a bunch of angry Gomer, people hanging out. Like Gomer pile right now, slip, like you're bro. about to be him, man. You know. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so we we go to breakfast. They put him. The drill sergeants put him on um, CQ, and we came back, and he had been gone. He he, he took off again, uh, and they didn't find him for like three weeks. Uh, Ooh, he got reason, better at it. The, the only reason they found him <laughs> was we got a call one day from the Columbus Police Department saying yeah. hey this guy's in custody we found him trying to mug a little old lady down downtown oh. columbus and he's in jail you need to come get him and the drill sergeant's like nope he's been filed for sep he's not our issue he can sit there until his parents come and get him so but that be a you, had, story. you had the chance i know i know he's the one that i took that 500 dollars from he bet me like a day before he went awol he you set all of this in motion. Yeah, that's basically. why he mugged the old lady. He needed his money back. <laughs> he needed his money back. <laughs> Sounds to me uh, <laughs> is pretty pretty linear. <laughs> yeah, you mugged I'm, an old lady. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. I mugged an old lady. Sorry, old lady, if you're listening. <clears throat> uh, How's that? What'd you spend that five hundred dollars on? Uh, my car payment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so take so, Take us back to day zero. What, uh, what's oh, yeah. so, so day zero. So they came out, they just smoked us up a little bit, told us to, you know, get ready and be prepared. And the next couple of weeks are going to be the worst couple of weeks of our life and, uh, sent us upstairs, you know, and then, um, 
yeah, from there on out, I mean, it was, they did a little bit of training back then, but it was more so just a, a four week gut check. You know, I mean, you're literally waking up all the time, you know, middle of the night, they'd, they'd wake you up by throwing on the, the fire alarm in the, in the building, you know, I'll tell you to get downstairs and PTs. So you show up in formation, they start smoking you and they tell you, Hey, you got half an hour to get, you know, your wall lockers and your bunks from upstairs. You know, we were all on the third floor. So carry it all downstairs onto the blacktop and set it up and arrange it like how the rooms are. And then, you know, we get down yeah. there nowhere near the right time. And they're like, Oh, you want to take your sweet ass time. Now you got 30 minutes to do it again. You know, get it back upstairs. And then you'd, you'd meet the time hack, but then they start going through and checking the wall lockers and they'd realize that all we did was throw the shit in there and we wouldn't put it back in the SOP <laughs> as the wall lockers. And they'd make us do it again, you know? And it was, it was just, like I said, it was, it was just a constant gut check. Um, you know, they still did the ruck march and they still had classes to where you're learning, you know, ranger history and, and stuff like that. Cause that was a, a testable thing was a, like a written test on ranger history. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just brutal. Um, the, like I was saying, the blacktop, you know, that they called it, they called it the blacktop and it was just a blacktop slab out behind the building. Every time you'd come on, or leave it you had to do six pull-ups on pull-up bars and they were like the fat pull-up bars and again this is july and august and benning so not only are those things already burning your hands but then they'd make us start doing push-ups on the blacktop or their, their favorite was having us roll over and do flutter kicks while sitting on our hands so we're really smushing them onto the blacktop yeah. more so then you get dudes who try to like unscrew their two court and dump it on the dump it on the blacktop a little bit to try to get it some water, but it's like almost boiling at that point. So it made it even worse, you know, and people were getting blisters all over their hands. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> but it was just nonstop, just nonstop, basically smoke sesh. Just again, just a, just a gut check. Um, people just quitting, you know, just getting sick of it. And we had this one guy who um, was like a master of flutter kicks and came out one day and started smoking us just, because he was bored, I, I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, but it gets us all down, and we start doing flutter kicks, doing one, two, three, you know, the four counts. We go to 75. He goes, there we go. We're, we paid tribute to regiment. He's like, let's go pay tribute to 1st Battalion. So we got all the way up to 175 four counts. And he goes, okay, let's go pay tribute to 2nd Battalion. So we go up to 275. And then he's like, all right, last one. We got to go pay tribute to 375. So we did 375 four-count flutter kicks. He never stopped, like – uh, and, you know we're dying and this dude just just going i'm like i'm not gonna be able to hang with these guys these dudes are freaks of nature you know we'll like to find out that this guy's dad is like that guy who just did the eight hour plank <laughs> right yeah i mean it was it was just insane you know and he was you know and i know the guy now and and i've actually i, I bumped into him um so last year kind of i'm jumping all over the place so i apologize well, last year I was, I was a, uh, I was teaching ROTC at Whitewater. So I was up at, uh, Fort McCoy, um, doing, uh, like a best warrior competition for all the cadets. And I see this guy get out and I see he's got a scroll on his arm, you know, a deployment scroll. And I'm like, Oh shit, I'm going to hop out and go say hi to this guy. Lo and behold, it's that dude. He's an E8 now was teaching ROTC up in, uh, Michigan. And I'm like, I hated you when I was going through rip because the, the one I'm like, you can do flutter kicks like a freaking robot. And he's like, yeah, I remember you too. I was like, that's probably not good if it was 12 yeah. years ago and you still remember me, you know, but uh, it was kind of a funny small world. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so the PT test, so you had to do a PT test, the, the final, 
that final week is kind of where they start doing all the tests, right? So it's really three weeks of getting your, your ball smoked off. Um, you know, you, you do learn some stuff. And then the fourth week, you, you put it all into practice. You're still getting your ball smoked off, but now you start getting evaluated on stuff. And one of the things was the PT test. And Ranger, the ones that we did in, in regiment and then Ranger school, um, they do the, they call it like the RFPT or something, the Ranger, the Ranger physical fitness test. Yeah. But it's, it's still this two minutes push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, but it's a five-mile run and then six chin-ups at the end of it. Um, and that is where they weeded out, like, everybody. Um, they literally – you guys have heard the, the, the 48 club, you know, at, at schools and stuff where you get to 48 push-ups and you, you failed because you're one shy. Because at all the Army schools, they used the, the 17 to 21 male grading scale or yeah. the 17 to 21 females if you're a female. Um, and so it was 49 push-ups to pass. It's like 50-something sit-ups to pass. So anyways – 53 there hey see he knows the 52 club <laughs> <laughs> yeah so here we are you know the final week there's still uh almost 200 i believe of us still at the final week and uh so my grader failed seven out of eight guys in our line the one to his right failed nine out of nine in his line and the one to his left failed eight out of eight in his line all on push-ups <clears throat> so i'm doing push-ups was that like legit fails or was that like no, no. So, so we need you to go basically. So I was doing pushups okay. and, and, and I heard him counting. He was up into the, I think I got like 68 or 69, you know, I wasn't the greatest. I'd just been smoked up for the whole time I was there. Um, so I believe I was in like the upper sixties and I hear him like, he's verbally counting it, you know, going through, going through and I'm pushing, pushing like time. And he's like 48, you failed. Get to the, get to the back of the line. And I was like, I'm like, sorry, you, you were just up in the sixties. And he's like, do you want to fucking argue with me? And I was like, Negative, sir, you know, and I'm thinking like, okay, maybe they're going to gut check me and see if I just kind of give up on the other events and, you know, kind of like, oh, ha, 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 you know, you did great. And uh, so do the, do the sit up, you know, crushed it five mile. I think that I ran my fastest. Uh, I was a freak of nature still when it came to running at that point. So I think I ran like a 30, like a 31 minute five mile or something like that. It was fast. Like, I was impressed. Um, and then, you know, put pull-ups. So then we're in a mass formation and they start calling off roster numbers. Do, 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 do. And then we all fall out and they're like, okay, all of you guys are the failures. And yeah. I'm like, my soul was crushed because I was set to graduate a selection on my birthday. And uh, so then they're like, yep, yeah, okay, you know, you're going to be pushed over to, to hold. You know, you'll be given the opportunity to recycle if you so want. Like half the people were just like, no, fuck it. Like we're just going to go worldwide. Um, the rest of us, where you got put in a, in a, in the holdover to reinsert later in the next class. But then they started doing best ranger competition through there in Benning. So they sent us all home for two weeks, came back, got inserted. And I mean, I ended up obviously, you know, I, I passed it and, and it's kind of funny because if I would have graduated with the first class, that was the only thing in my army career that I've ever failed. And I, I still am like super pissed about it, obviously. Um, but it's kind of funny how it worked out because that class, if I would have passed with that one, they let all the 11 Bravos um, select which battalion they wanted to go to, whether it was first battalion down in Savannah, Georgia, second battalion up in Fort Lewis, a third right there on Benning. And I was going to go to third because I was dating a little girl from the area. And I thought, you know, I just wanted to stay by her. Um, so when I got reinserted the next class, I'm thinking like, cool, you know, I'm going to pick third bat and maybe I'll go to first. Cause you know, I'd like to be on the beach over near Savannah and stuff. And, and then like, okay, all 11 Bravos stand up. You're all going to second bat, sit back down. And I was like, Oh, no, you know, and I'm happy about it. I mean, if you guys have never been out to the Pacific Northwest, 
Uh, I mean, Washington State is gorgeous. Fort Lewis, well, now JBLM is, is an amazing base. Uh, and I loved it out there. I miss it, but, you know, it all worked out the way it was supposed to. So made it through, um, you know, graduated and then moved out to, to Fort Lewis uh, and, you know, started my, my journey out there in second bat. And Lewis is awesome. I only got to go up there once when I did combat trauma management um, as a medic. They've renamed it now, whatever the hell it's called, combat trauma casualty or something like that. But, yeah, you know, it was just like a week or two of, of training with some of the SFPAs and medics and stuff like that, doing different labs that I can't talk about. Yeah. Um, and then at night, we just went out in Tacoma, and Tacoma's awesome. Yeah, Tacoma's really cool. Uh, I mean, right there, you know, I got the harbor right there. You can always see Mount Rainier. That's like, yeah. it's funny. If you've never been to Washington again, um, Google Mount Rainier. It's like a 14,000 foot mountain that just stands out everywhere. So like people use that as a direction. Like, oh, if you can see Mount Rainier, like you need to go. Or yeah, It's really weird. It's a Washington thing. Yeah, but, so uh, Nick is a Washington native. Right. Yeah, that's and, my backyard. Yeah. yeah. Where, so where at, where at exactly then? So I was, I grew up in Spokane. So the other okay. Washington. The, yeah. Yeah. The other. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I spent five years at Lewis. Okay. When I first commissioned. Yeah. Right I on. love that state. I miss it. Um, it's cool living in other places, but you're right. Yeah. The mountain is like your sense of direction. It is. It's like, yeah, you got to go, you know, you know, it's going to be a good day if you can see Rainier. And so it's, it's, you can actually see Rainier um but yeah i mean it's gorgeous like you have everything there you know like it was kind of cool like i said first bat would have been nice because you're right there on you know a di the you know the atlantic um different ocean and everything but washington is great because i mean you have you have the ocean and then you have big city you know and you have some small kind of farm city and things too and then you have the mountains you know so i'm a big snowboarder so like always getting up into the mountains and doing snow sports and stuff and then you go an hour past the mountains then you got freaking flatland desert you know, and then you go three hours past that and you're where Nick's from and you're in Spokane and you're in another decently sized city. So it's just a really cool, really cool environment out there. That's awesome. So what was the path? So you get out to, you finally make it to bat. Like yep. my understanding is you're still technically not, you haven't gone to ranger school yet, right? Correct. Yeah. So, um, they started incorporating it when they, when they switched over from rip to rasp. Um, so what rasp is, is it's still kind of the four weeks of a smoke session. But then if you make it through that, you go to phase two, which is a lot more train up. So now when we get privates into regiment, they're trained a lot more on baseline ranger level tactics and SOPs, maybe not specifically, you know, the unit SOPs of how each battalion kind of does things and in more specifics, but they're familiarized on our weapons. They come with the driver's license and they're qualified on Humvees and strikers oh, nice um they get another like two jumps so they're more familiar with how we do airborne operations compared to you know out of um, airborne school um, some things like that so we get a lot more of a trained individual and now we just focus more on our specific smaller unit level sop stuff and really start getting them into the fold um so what they started incorporating back into rasp though was the top like 10 percent of the class would go right from rasp to ranger school so kind of good and bad. Good. We get a guy who's now, you know, when they make it to us, they've gone through all that and they have ranger school. So they've already got their tab. They've been through that course. The bad is so within regiment, as soon as a guy graduates ranger school, if they're not an E4 already, we, we bump them, we wave them up to E4. So now you're a tab D4 and you're basically like a junior, junior NCO. Like 
I hardly ever got smoked by my E5 team leaders as a private. It was always my tab D4s. They're like fucking pit bulls in Ranger Regiment. Like they are just mean. They are they are just out to destroy private souls. I'm serious. It's great. Um, so the bad about that, like I said, is, is you might have a guy who is an E4 who's only gone through this pipeline, is coming now, who has a Ranger tab and is technically in charge of privates, but you might have a private who's been there for a year and a half and has already deployed once and knows combat and all this other shit. And now he's being smoked up by a dude who hasn't done anything but trade doc. Right. I feel like that screams drama. Yeah. It's good and bad. You know, there, there is, there is good and bad in it. Usually, um, like I said, usually the way it goes is you'll do basic AIT airborne and then rasp now, and then you get to your battalion, you got to kind of prove yourself, right? You're hanging out for a training cycle to learn how we do everything. Um, we're still, I say we, I'm not part of them anymore, obviously, but it's hard to say, not say we anymore. Um, regiment is the only unit that has been continuously deployed since 2001. So they continue and still today there's, they're constantly rotating on their cycles of deployments. Um, so Usually within regiment, they, you know, they want to do um, a full training cycle and get a combat deployment under your belt. And then you're going to go to ranger school and get your tab. And that's what I did. So I got there um, October of 08, um, trained up for a couple months. We deployed in January, um, got back April, May timeframe, and then left down to go to ranger school <laughs> in June. So tell us so, about that deployment. You know, you get into the unit, you finally get a little bit of a workout get your feet under you, then all of a sudden, what was the AO that you guys were working in? Well, Adam, um, could, I, could I ask a question? Yeah, I have a, yeah, kind of related to the training process. So there's nice, like, chronology yeah. here. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, yeah, I had a – actually, during my first deployment, I contacted a Ranger recruiter. And I was yeah. like, hey, I'm, you know, PV2 Atkinson, and I'm a medic, and I'm interested in, uh, you know, Ranger school and doing the, the whole thing. And then – uh, contrast that with uh, another medic who I knew in my heavy, uh, you know, cab unit. He was in the medic platoon there. And I think, I don't know how he sort of massaged the process. If he just had a good relationship with like uh, somebody at HRC or, or personnel, but he ended up like going to the battalions and I forget which one to be a medic and then qualified later through ranger orientation, uh, you know, ranger school or whichever. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, you know, you're, you're the third person I've heard has talked about that situation where um, they've been in a med, it's, it's always medics that are in a different outside unit. And then they've gone through something and have qualified into Ranger Regiment. Um, one of the majors that I was working with at Whitewater did the same thing. He was an active duty medic, was stationed out on Lewis back in, this was like their late 80s. And they were at like a low point for their medics. And so they rolled him and a couple other guys over into the unit. And for like nine months, they were training as medics under Ranger Regiment. And a couple of them got picked up to go through the selection process to actually stay there. And then he decided to go back and do his own thing. But yeah, it's, it's competitive, you know, I guess. And, uh, and I just was curious to hear more because all I did was send an email and all I did was get an email back and it said, we're not currently hiring medics. And I was like, hmm. yeah, weird. So it's, it depends on it depends on what they're getting. So they're constantly, uh, and they've been pushing it a lot more as of the last couple of years. They've been pushing it where they have recruiters at high guys from Ranger Regiment. They have them at high demand um, training installations. 
Um, and they're constantly trying to feed people to like, Hey man, like you should go and, you know, go try out. So it really just depends on how they look across the board through the regiment on their M toes and everything else is, you know, are they close to full strength or not? What do we need? What don't we need? So I feel bad for a while. It's like the recruiter was saying, it's, <clears throat> it's not you, it's me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just right. another recruiter line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so you just, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say like bouncing back to your arrival in bat, but if there's more to say about sort of alternate means of getting, getting no, into that community. It's really, the, I mean, the, the best ways are one, knowing about it, you know, um, having somebody that you can talk to. And, and I've had a bunch of people um, through the school um, at Whitewater have reached out to me saying, hey, you know, hey, Sergeant Wellington, I know you don't know me, but um, I'm about to sign up with active duty and I'm trying to go for an option 40 contract. You know, would you mind talking to me? And yeah, of course, you know, like, you know, things are a little bit different nowadays, you know, than, than they were when I went through. But of course, you sure. know, and I can reach out. I've got buddies that are still all over the place. So I can see if anybody, you know, is maybe working there. Um, so the best way, like I said, is to know somebody. And that way you can kind of learn what to ask for. Because even a lot of like active duty recruiters aren't familiar with an option 40 contract. Right. So like if I've had, uh, I'm on a couple different Ranger Facebook pages. Um, so a lot of like these older crusty guys are starting to have their, you know, 19 year old sons that are now signing up for an option 40 and going away and following kind of in dad's footsteps. And they're like, I, I've had a couple of them who've been like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I go in there as dad, you know, and my kid's like, Hey, I want an option 40 contract. And the recruiter like tries to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, sell them on a cook. And like, you know, yeah, we have cooks and regiment, but like, no, he wants to do, he's blatantly says, I want to do infantry. I want to go ranger. Like, I don't want to be a cook ranger. I want to be an airborne, like a, an infantry ranger. And they just don't quite get it. Or they might not even know, like, oh, I don't think we can do option 40 contracts or I don't know what it is. Right. But like knowing kind of what you're talking about is one of them, getting it actually into your contract. And then two is you know, like what we were talking, how I got it and, you know, kind of, or very similar to like your situation, you know, reaching out to those individuals or it, when you're at the training installations, if you have somebody come in and talk or, you know, obviously there are times where drill sergeants, you know, after the first couple of weeks to so the kind of where they start doing a little bit, I'm a human, I'll talk to you about some things. And, you know, if you're being a stud with PT and you're shooting and not getting in trouble, like, Hey, I've kind of done some research. I wouldn't mind if you had an option 40 contract or if there's a way I could get one and they might be able to pull their, you know, trick out their sleeve for you. So. Yeah. But. Just one other thing kind of building off that, like um, something that I wasn't aware of until I had had a couple years of national guard service under my belt was that there are special forces groups affiliated with the national guard, which blew mm -hmm. my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, they just, um, there was one in Illinois down near Chicago but they just relocated them and now they're in Indiana, I believe. Um, but yeah, I think there's, don't quote me on this, but I want to say there's six, no, five. I think there's five SF groups that are National Guard across the country. So yeah, that's uh, definitely a cool little route to think of, you know. Right, like stay close to home and still do some elite warfighter type tasks yeah, yeah and then you show sure. up on the weekend and you're scrapping with tim kennedy that would suck <laughs> <laughs> yeah for That's sure a dream come true for some of us adam like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> didn't yeah. you see him in 15 <laughs> right <laughs> uh 
so yeah so anyway so then getting back so first deployment um so like i said showed up uh, my first deployment uh we left right after christmas i don't even remember if we made it through the new year it might have been right at the end of december it was like january 2nd i i can't remember off the top of my head uh, but we ended up going to uh jalalabad uh northeastern afghanistan well kind of more eastern than north really mm. um we had we were it's a small little base and we were co-located with a seal team there doing some stuff with them uh very slow deployment just that time of the year you know a lot of the passes have shut down between pakistan and, and afghanistan so not a whole lot going on i think like that deployment we only did uh like seven or eight missions it was really slow oh, wow, wow um, like three or four month deployment yeah so we were doing at that time we were doing um about 120 ish days it, deployments like I, I never did longer than a six monther um, most of my deployments were around the four month mark i actually um, think that's that's smart it keeps guys pretty fresh it keeps you tuned in like yeah. i remember on my 12 month regular army deployment by nine months man you're pretty you're pretty burnt out you're divorced you're asking yeah. <laughs> you know you know seriously like it's uh, like i couldn't imagine you know i i couldn't imagine all i know is you know because i my only times deploying and my time active was all in range regiment so i only know the short but it I, you know, I can't compare it to a, a year to 15 or 18 monthers like some people have. Um, you know, I know what I would think is kind of nice though, is doing something that long, you know, you're not deployed again for another three to four or five years or so, depending. Mm. I, I, and I, I know it depends, again, like, depending, mm. um, you know, but for like me, it kind of like, it was nice, but it also kind of sucks being rapidly deployed. Cause when you're home, like I was only home for seven or eight months and I was back on a bird going over again. And when you're home, I probably only had maybe two to three months out of that to where I was actually home. You know, the right. rest of the time I'm either going to a school or we're doing offsite training or we're just doing training in general to where I'm not home ever. Um, you know, and everything we do in regiment was, is all night op stuff. Yeah. So train like you fight. Right. So when we're in our heavy training cycles, we're reverse cycled. So we're coming in at four in the afternoon, working all night, getting released at five in the morning. So I'm getting home, going to bed when most people are waking up to start their daily routines, sleeping for a few hours and I'm back in there again, doing the same shit, you know? So it so kind of just, burns me out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you just had a baby, right? Uh, yeah, I just had a baby. She'll be a, she'll be a month on Wednesday. Is that your first child? No, this is my third. So what was your family life like when you're just like, a vampire, you know? Uh, yeah, it's tough to definitely balance, um, for sure. Um, you know, you, you try to spend as much time as you can, you know, and you got to kind of make some sacrifices at, at certain times and it sucks, you know? And, um, you know, if you do it in right, I guess there's really no right way, I guess, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot of sleep usually like to hang out with my daughter more. Um, so with my daughter, so my daughter was really the only one, my oldest daughter, uh, was really the only one that I had to do much with because I didn't have her until 2013. Um, so I deployed for my final time at the uh, when she was two and a half months. Um, so I got back and then, you know, did some training and stuff. I missed what would have, so I ended up deploying six times. Uh, would have been seven, but I cut the tendon in my pinky. Uh, 
pre-deployment party uh got a little yeah, too li- uh, little, little, little too liquored up went to <laughs> shotgun a beer and then stabbed the knife into the wall and my fingers slipped up the blade of the knife and split my tendon oh, and my pinky yeah and then oh, i no. was i was so hammered i was like oh shit you know and wrapped it and my buddy's like let's just go put stitches in it you have your emt bag right and i'm like i'm like i can't move it i don't think stitches are gonna help bro and so I'm like stitching anyway. Yeah. Well, I was like, I was like, well, I can't go to the hospital. I'm too drunk. So let's just keep drinking. So I drank until I passed out and went to the hospital the next morning. And they're like, yeah, you need surgery to have it re put together. And I was like, I leave for a deployment in a week. And they're like, yeah, you're not deploying. I was like, well, my first sign ain't going to like this. No. So, uh, so I stayed back from that one. Um, and then, uh, fast forward then to now 2015 before I'm about to leave active duty, I had my son, and I was already on terminal leave or transition leave at that time. So didn't have anything with him. So, but the family life, like I said, is, you know, I sacrificed sleep to kind of hang out with my daughter for a little bit. Um, obviously then, like I said, I was gone for, you know, a few months of her early couple months of her life on deployment. Uh, but it's definitely tough. Um, even, you know, having like a spouse or something, you've got a juggle of, you know, making sure everything is, is solid and, and intact and whatnot. And what, um, what do you think she would say about, like especially that part of your life when you know your oldest daughter is coming around and you and you're stepping out for a four-month deployment with regiment or whatever well knowing how our relationship is now she'd probably do nothing but shit talk me so (laughs) (laughs) nice Um, (laughs) uh she'd probably say that you know very similar though i'm guessing it's definitely tough it definitely takes a lot of cohesion and, and communication um something that I've never been great at, you know, I think it's when you're living that kind of lifestyle though, it's really hard to communicate a lot of times because there's just a lot of stuff that we can't talk about or things that, you know, I mean, you all probably can attest to there's just some things you don't want to talk about unless it's with another group of people who have experienced something very similar. Even if, you know, it's a spouse who you're supposed to share everything with, it's, you still just, there's a connection that you have with your brothers and your sisters that you've served with um, and things that, that, you know, most people just don't understand. Um, so it's definitely tough, but yeah, that first deployment, um, it went by super slow <laughs> because like oh, I said, sure. we only did, you know, everything was closed. Um, you know, one, to, one, one of the missions that kind of always sticks out about that one. Um, so we only did, so like I said, we did about seven or eight and that was just, I think that was just what I went on. So usually what happened is we were more of just an augment, which is kind of weird. Cause usually it was like big army and more augmented us and, uh, and people would always bitch about it, but we had to augment a couple times, for like a SEAL team or an SF team or a Delta team or something. So we were basically augmenting and they, they would pull us to help pull uh, blocking positions and security positions for them to go do their stuff. So we, uh, we go in one day and it was like, it might've been my very first mission. Um, and I saw, first of all, I'm super jazzed to be flying on a Chinook, you know, being flown by the guys from 160th. Those pilots are insane. The things that those dudes can do with a Chinook, uh, I, I couldn't do that with a, a, like a pencil, you know, just like making <laughs> it fly around. It's nuts. Um, like we come over this mountaintop and he flares and just starts dropping. Yeah. And you look out the back and I mean, literally he was like four feet away from this cliff. just And you just see this mountain just burying, right? And he flares really hard, comes in, lands, and we hit really hard. And when we go to jump out, well, he basically two wheel landed on the side of this cliff and we jumped out and we had to drop down three feet between these boulders. 
And so we found out when, when he got back, we talked to him. He's like, that was pretty fucking sweet. Right. And we're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I broke my landing gear though. He shoved the landing gear up into the bird when he took that landing. <laughs> but like they do, they do whatever they got to do to get their guys. Yeah, you bet. You know? And so anyway, so we did that. So we get out, we had an eight K infill through, you know, Afghanistan up in the mountains. Yeah, that's pretty um, long yeah. We started taking pop shots from like a little AMP checkpoint. We're like, Oh, just keep pushing whatever. You know, it's 300 meters away. They're just shooting in the dark. They don't see where we're at. And, uh, we get about, I don't know, three to 400 meters away from the objective. And they're like, put us in a, in a quick halt and we get comms. Um, we get a, a message over the net saying, Hey, there's a storm front rolling in. Uh, we can't really tell how bad it's going to be, but if you guys don't try to get out of there as soon as possible, you might be stuck up there for who knows how long. And we're like, yeah, we've, we've seen movies. Like we don't want, you know, to be in another movie. Let's get out of here. So we blow up past the objective and walk seven K to the Xville. <laughs> so literally first, like I said, I'm pretty sure it was, my it was first a hike. Hope. Yeah. First objective, yeah. first mission in Afghanistan. Right? Yeah. First mission 15K. out in Afghanistan, 15 K through, through the mountains. I'm like, well, this is going to be one hell of a career, you know? Um, but it was, it was, it was fun. You know, it was, it was cool. It was a good experience and you got to walk quite a bit and see some of the, the, the local community under nods. So. Yeah. There you go. AMP Afghan national police. That's uh, so is yeah. that like green on blue over there? Uh, more or less. Yeah. I mean, so there's another deployment later on uh, a couple of years after this, that uh, we actually got into a pretty good tick uh, with and, and tick for those of you that might not know troops in contact. Um, and with an AMP, gunfight, right? <laughs> yeah, a gunfight. Yeah, uh, with uh, with an AMP actual checkpoint. There was five of them actually, like in a. It was almost like a little police base they had. Like it was all T barriered and or not T barriered. Um, the Hescos and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We ended up having to. They had us pretty pinned in, and then we started getting mortared by. I don't know if it was them or if it was Taliban or something in the area. So we had we had to fight and then get out of there, but. You got to do what you got to do. So first deployment was fun though. Uh, being in Friends JBIT. Like so, so first deployment, um, that one. So we were the only platoon. So it was just our platoon in JBAB. And out of the whole battalion, out of the second ranger battalion, we were the only ones to go to Afghanistan. Everyone else went to Iraq. So I was a little <laughs> upset about that. Cause I, I never deployed to Iraq then because of that. Cause that was the deployment where they really started slowing stuff down. And then we started pulling everybody from there back to Afghanistan so we just had a platoon in all of Afghanistan, a ranger. We're co-located with a SEAL team. So there was really not a whole lot of standards when it came to things. Um, like I was rolling around in, in my PT shorts with my little level three fuzzy bear and a baseball cap with my hair that was down past my nose. Um, you know, no one cared. You know, it was our first sergeant came to visit us once and he adapted that uniform really quick. But he's like, this is fucking sweet. You guys are living like Kings here. And we're like, yeah, right. Yeah. Roger. That's awesome. Um, you know, we had the chaplain came and visit us once. Um, he drank a piss bottle. Apparently that was cool. Wait, <laughs> piss, piss. He drank piss. So, so yeah. So I still, uh, the, 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 it still haunts me to this day on, on how this situation occurred. So as privates, you know, because again, we're we're only a platoon there. So it was our our highest ranking was our captain PL and our E seven platoon sergeant. You know, um, so we had we were in charge of our own mission deck, our own everything. So we had jock duty for all of our privates. So twenty four seven, 
we had a private sitting in the jock for an hour watching screens of radars and taking notes and whatnot. Well, so there was a couple guys that because they were so scared to leave, they would just piss in a Gatorade bottle. And then usually they'd throw it away right when they were done, like kind of clean up after yourself. Like nobody wants to see it. Nobody wants to smell it. Just get rid of it. So apparently someone left one though, uh, like right next to where the privates sit um, on jock guard. And it was middle of the day and the chaplain must've just not been adapted to, you know, a night, a daytime sleep schedule yet. Cause we sleep during the day and, and work during the night. So he was comes it in, in a lemon lime Gatorade bottle. Yeah. Is that what yeah. he did? Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, so the chaplain comes in and you know, kind of, kind of talking, you know, getting the morale of this young private on his first deployment, et cetera, et cetera. And reaches over, grabs this bottle, cracks it open and takes a swig. Okay. First of all, first thing wrong with this. Nobody grabs a half-filled Gatorade bottle to just drink it, right? You don't do that. Second of all, you're going to smell piss as you're bringing it to your face. Like, if you're not like, or, you know, like, you just go, oh, and just throw it down your throat, you know? Like, you're going to smell it as soon as you crack it. So, some of us, and I don't really know what his motive would have been, but a couple of us think that he did it himself. Like, I don't know, again, I don't know a motive, but some of us think that he, it was his own piss bottle, that he drank his own piss bottle <laughs> either to get somebody in trouble or cause he was like trying to get himself sick so he can get, I, who knows? I feel the bad. Chaplain? He's an officer in the United States army. So I feel bad blaming, you know, but like he's a man of God. Yes. <laughs> but like <laughs> he's drinking piss on purpose <laughs> to but, bail from your combat outburst. Uh, something. I don't know, man. I would, it was weird. Wow. So anyways, the only time that I've ever been smoked by an officer was that, uh, <laughs> Our PL found out, woke up the entire platoon and literally had platoon sergeant on down in the front lane arrest for about half an hour trying to figure out who the hell's piss bottle it was. And of course, like no private's going to fess up to it. Cause they're like, Oh my God, I'm going to get kicked out of range regiment. But I really don't think it was anybody's piss bottle. I just, I really don't. I don't know. So anyway, mistakes it's funny story. Made. Mistakes were made. Don't drink open bottles that aren't yours. <laughs> Listen, there was this one lady that swore that drinking piss cured her cancer. So maybe he was trying to go down that route. There you go. See, maybe he was, yeah, he heard that story. He's trying. I hope not. So, so yeah, so that was a pretty, that was a pretty fun deployment. Um, you know, we, we had a, we had some more mistakes were made. Definitely. Um, you know, we, we would always do, you know, we'd get into fights, you know, uh, squad on squad, little roll ups and stuff. Well, the way we usually do, man, you guys were there for 120 days and only got eight ops. I mean, yeah, that's why I said. It was boring. It was a lot of, a lot of jacked, a lot of going to the gym and just a lot of, like I said, a lot of stupid shit to keep ourselves busy fighting other people. We did a lot of training. It was a really good deployment. We had our own range right outside, like right on our compound. Awesome. So we were shooting a lot. Um, (laughs) You know, we got a lot of good training that deployment for sure, but it was just a lot of boring downtime. So you know, if, if E5s get bored, what do they go do? They go, hey, specialists, what are you guys doing? Go fuck up the privates. And then we're sitting in there just minding our own business. And then, you know, door gets kicked in and there comes a bunch of E4s. Ah, start freaking out. And now you're getting smoked for the next three hours. And you're like, oh, what a night. You guys uh, talked about being an augmentee for us. And I remember the way that uh, it worked for us in 2005 in Western Baghdad <clears throat> is that we had a whole zone pretty much to ourselves. And we just kind of owned it. But, you know, every once in a while, certain, there's certain missions would come down and we wouldn't get like uh, a cordon and capture or a cordon and kill mission or anything like that. And the nights that 
any of the stuff that we were augmenting would happen, you'd basically <sighs> go set up an OP somewhere where we'd, we'd create the outer cordon. And then we would watch you guys come in on strikers. And then we'd see SEAL teams coming in in Suburbans. And then I'd look up in the sky and see all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, you're, <laughs> you're welcome. Like, I, like we, we do the daily work in the zone and get blown up all the time and, and are collecting all the intel. And you yeah. guys just get to come in and like shoot your reality show and then roll back out. Like, you guys <laughs> I'm glad you said that, Adam. Man. Dude, I was just like... It's the it's the truth, dude. And I and like I feel bad. And I never real like when you're in that role, like you don't realize it. You know, like I didn't ever truly fully understand how spoiled we really are. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, you know, and again, I I knew that situation because there's multiple times where we'd go in and we get into gunfights, you know, and we would just wreak havoc onto a, a compound, you know, some dead dudes blowing up doors, whatever it might have been. And then all we would do is we'd kit up on our comms and like call in the battle space owners, you know, so big army unit comes rolling in and we're like, Hey, your problem now. And our birds come land and we take the fuck off, you know? And then like you guys are out there for the next 18 hours dealing with the village elder. 18 (laughs) months. months, (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, so like, and like I said, as far as the spoiled stuff goes, like, Two years ago when I was at a, at a school, I was at ALC finally because I never went before I left active duty. So they were like, hey, you know, you've been in E6 for five years. Uh, you need to go to ALC. We're going to have to bump you back down to an E5. I was like, well, send me. So they sent me, they sent me to ALC. So here I am at 11 Bravo ALC. You know, haven't done anything 11 Bravo in four years because I'd been recruiting. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm scared. You know, it's been a while. Well, obviously, you know, you, you pick back up on old habits really fast. And uh, so I'm talking with a lot of these guys. And I, it was, it blew me away that the army functions the way that it does when you had guys that were in a team leader position going to a school to get promoted to E6 to take a squad leader role who have never done an actual live fire because they can't get the ammo, you know? And I'm like, really? Yeah. I'm like, uh, you know, and, and I'm like the things like talking like equipment and stuff. And, you know, we had a PL like, cause all of the way that regiment works is all of our officers have to do their position big army before they apply to and come to range regiment. So when we get a PL for us, he's already done his line time as a PL in a big army unit, probably is deployed with that big army unit. And now he's coming to range regiment to be a PL again. Um, so that's why, like I said, is, you know, you don't usually see captains as platoon leaders, right? It's usually lieutenants, but we get guys that are a little bit further along in their career progression. Um, but we had a PL tell us for one of our, just for just a platoon for a team live fire day. So six, six teams, right? We had six line teams. Then we had our other platoon or other squad was our heavy weapons. So for six teams of doing a day blank, day live, night blank, night live, we had more ammo for that than he had for a whole year for his whole platoon back in his line unit. And it's, it's crazy. Cause like I've had people in my career now, somebody be like, Oh, that person's a veteran. They're dangerous. And I'm like, uh, no, actually that person wasn't cause they were like a cook or something. (laughs) And like, even even combat arms couldn't get ammo to train in the regular (laughs) army. You think the cook ever actually got to do shit? Like they probably went to a nine mil range and shot at a target that didn't move once a year. It it, it didn't work. So you qualified expert. No, you missed every fucking round, but they just, (laughs) I I you, number two this. pencil punching holes through a target. <laughs> I, I, during my active duty career, I went through a very awkward time PCSing from a support unit to a combat arms unit oh. when the budget wasn't figured out. Yeah. So there was about like a five or six month period where all like the red cycle, bogus brigade level taskings kind of went away. But that meant nobody was cutting the grass. And like people <laughs> were like, hey, what are we going to do for friggin' bullets for our next gunnery 
So right. just like, I'm like, man, nobody thought about this. And here we are, like, you know, eventually getting stuff right so we can do the right training. But just watching that grass get longer and longer at Fort Hood, like, <laughs> I guess the standards are not that serious when money's tight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I it's just so listen. weird because I was in a company, an MP company, 98th MP company, and we always had ammo. Like, we, we did so many ranges. Never had, that was never an issue. Right. Ammo was never an issue. Yeah, if it's you really want to have your life feel threatened, go to a medical range. That's always fun. You get a bunch <laughs> of nurses on the line. <laughs> I was all getting, when I went on my deployment, it must be something about ammo because I was like all spun up. You know, they gave us our body armor. Everyone was taking pictures. And then we go to go into country and they say, put out your hands. I put out my hands and put nine bullets in my hand. I said, what, what is this? And I said, that's your ammo. I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with nine rounds? They're like, you're a nurse. When you get there, trade with the guy you're taking over for. Oh my God. So we were just like exchanging ammo. Like I gave him my nine rounds and he gave me his 36. And that's what I had while I was in country. Wow. Like this is such horse shit. You, you mean you're not, the- you're not a sniper? You can't, hit, you can't hit nine people and kill them all with those one yeah. rounds? But then our, our Air Force augmentees came in and they had M4s, M9s, some fancy like switchblade knife that they had to get taken <laughs> away because they kept cutting themselves with. Like, <laughs> That's why you don't have nice things. Oh, man. Well, they can't have nice things. Did you talk yeah. about the difference between regular army units and, and regiment is that like you guys just naturally had all the good stuff already. I mean, you guys were kind of probably a testing ground for a lot of that stuff. Is yeah. that I remember the regular army like – at one point, like three months out, it's like all the contractors just like filled up gymnasium with all the cool shit. And you kind of just left stepped your way down the line, like filling bags full of all the different crap you had, whether it was nicer gloves, uh, sunglasses, all that kind of stuff. Then all of a sudden they started bringing down different infrared optics. And I'm just like, dude, where, where is the shit before? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Training with? Yeah. We, uh, like you were saying for the testing, we definitely, it was pretty cool. Um, the, the, the stuff that we do test there before it gets fielded uh, out to the big army and it sucks. It's like, like this should be, you know, out to the masses, not just small units. Uh, but obviously, I mean, it has to, you know, things have to go through a testing process and stuff before they, they do get fielded entirely. But and yeah, it's a regular schedule. So that stuff's going to make its way into country. Right. So it's just smarter, I think, because every four months, somebody's going, send them with something new, you yeah. know, big army units is 12 to 18 months out. A unit could go back and, and red cycle for a long period of time and, and not, you know, I think it's just, that's a smart way to deploy it. Right. For sure. So wouldn't it be kind of a, an unsettling thing to like, yeah, it's cool. You get to try all the new shit, but it's also all the new shit. Yeah. And so you might be yeah. out there and it doesn't work like it's supposed to. Yeah. So with all of it, like we would really test. So we were always, um, we'd get it like right when we get home. So then we'd be able to field it and test it for the eight months, you know? So we, we would have, uh, contractors from agencies. So, uh, the whole phalanx system that they came out with a few years ago was like the, instead of the Peltor headsets, it was like the little buds that had a small little thing. And, and the system behind it was that you could hook up multiple different communication systems to it. It didn't just have to be like an emitter or some sort of radio. You could hook up a couple radios and other things. Like I had an iPod hooked up to it at one point. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, so we would get those though and we'd be able to test them. And then we'd have civilian contractors from those companies that would be able to troubleshoot or take notes on anything we'd report. And then we could get new stuff. So we really wouldn't have, um, new new things when we were going overseas we'd have stuff that we'd fielded for a while and we'd still have all of our old stuff. like we would we'd had our normal you know our m4s and our nods and everything else 
but we'd get like, uh, you know, we got the scars, we got phalanx, we'd get new nods, we'd get all these different things that try out. And if we liked them, we could take them on deployments with us and use them over there too. But we'd always have our, you know, our stuff that we're familiar with is backup. Is that um, where that loading screen and like modern warfare and like battlefield comes from? Yeah. You get to yeah. select your, you get to your select, armament. Your load, you select your loadouts and then roll with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean like, you know, we, um, we would have like we had this we got the scars a couple of years back um and that was kind of even more like that because with the scar you can switch out and make it you know either a heavy with the 762 or light with 556 we have you know each person we had i mean our, our in our arms room it's like uh, my normal m4 so we all had free floated free floated barrels so they're already more accurate than the normal ones um our snipers, our mortars, no, our mortars and our dog guys and some other people would have the little 10-inch barrels. We all had the 16, um, but we had either L-cans on there, so you get the one to four by, flip it, or if you ran with an EOTech, we ended up getting uh, three by little scopes for behind them. We all had different lasers, had thermals, gown-munted or uh, handheld. We got the 302s years ago, the little handheld 40 mic, mic launchers um I more about the imagine like boondock saints like that scene in boondock saints where they walk in you and they, everything's there they just, okay, your rambo knife and yeah. your rope yeah get some fucking, fucking rope, rope. <laughs> <laughs> there we go yeah tell me more I've about actually, these i've got that right you can't really see it That's awesome. i got, I got Baritas Baritas. Baritas. Yeah. oh no, no. Um, <laughs> what so the dog guys what what's what do you want to know about our dog guys can't tell I mean, too much can i pet them yeah um yeah so so just they're they're just like any other service dog right um they don't have their vest on uh they're kind of a normal dog right um with the military with with the ones we use military train wise they don't want to they they try not to have you pamper them too much you know to you don't want to break them from any other training type stuff but really like once you once you put their little their harness on them that's when they're in like their working mode just like like i said a normal service dog and they know it's just like a duck hunting dog, man. You strip that vest on and that dog's dialed in. Yeah. They just, they, you know, and, uh, we get, they're, they're cross trained. So all of our dogs were trained in, uh, like bomb detection or explosive detection and, uh, you know, <laughs> cross trained uh, working dogs. Is, that's just like the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I've never yeah. even thought about it. So <laughs> this conversation, I'm like, yeah. Oh. So usually like, usually a dog will take to something more, uh, you know, more easily than another. Right. So we did have like some dogs were like, you know, these dogs are the ones that we're going to use more specifically if we think there's explosives um, or like, Hey, we're probably going to need to send a canine in here to go try to track somebody down and bite them if they're not coming out. So we're going to send this person in or this dog, but they're, they're all trained in, in both things. One of them might just, you know, we had like, we had this one dog, uh, can't remember his name, but he like, he was basically a wolf. The dude loved blood. Like, he nice. every de- every deployment he would have it at least a bite or two every deployment and he just he just loved it it's like we would just know like okay we're probably gonna send him in like let's bring him with us tonight you know and like let him go get it like there was a, there was a video we used to always send around that had you know it's his because they, they all have like a little camera that's mounted on their back because then the handler can pull out like a screen you know the handler pulls up a little screen on his on his chest and he can watch the canine as he's running around. And then that way we can get a layout of the grounds and we can see if he's getting a bite. So there's one, one scene in this video, the dog's on a roof and sees this guy out in a courtyard, jumps off the roof right onto a bite on the arm and just takes the dude down. I'm like, 
awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. Oh, the man. problem we had with the yeah, dogs that we like, get, sit next to him. Oh, go ahead, Adam. The, the dogs that we would get, the problems were that when we were kind of using them more, you know, it was like August in Baghdad. And so it was so stinking hot that the dogs would tire really quickly. And they'd try yeah. to put them back in like a Humvee to cool them down. But really at that point, the dog was kind of done for the day. And yeah. so that was, that was a challenge that we at least had whenever we would get them to come around. And it wasn't often, um, but whenever we did right. play with that, that's it. Yeah, the heat is definitely a thing. And then um, like our, we'd have to be cognizant if we were doing like longer offsets, you know, because the dog's going to get worn out and it's walking on its, you know, no gloves or any, no boots. And we're walking across, you know, sheetrock and stuff and up in the mountains yeah. and things. So we had to be cognizant of that stuff too. So Adam, you were a medic, right? How light were you guys? Uh, I mean, we were equipped on 1114s. We were set up on Humvees with all your standard Blue Force tracker and your ice kits and stuff like that. I think pretty, pretty common stuff. I'd, I'd have a longboard strapped to every Humvee. I had my aid bag with me, but then I had a drop leg pouch. I was lucky, you know, as a medic, I was equipped from our headquarters company. And so I, I, you know, I drew an M4. I had an ACOG with a PEC-2 on it. I carried an M9 as a sidearm. You know, I was pretty hooked up as a medic. And we didn't do a whole lot of walking because I deployed with a, a tanker unit or an armored unit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I'll give those guys a lot of shit about their fitness sometimes. But there were some PT studs there. But there was, you know, some guys that weren't. And they really just love being armor. But, like, um, they're, the way they moved in vehicles was phenomenal. The way they communicated and all that stuff was awesome. It was anytime we dismount, there were, you know, me as the medic, there was always a period of, like, oh fuck like else is gonna go down um, yeah i got go ahead oh i was just gonna say that i had a pretty lucky experience when i transitioned from a support unit to a line unit i ended up with a mechanized infantry company but the squad that i would most frequently train with had all just like somehow pcs almost intact from uh fort campbell from the 101st and was like they they would just be like just drop us off here and send the brads away, you know, and then we just go do walk in, like train up on light tasks. But so many people from like, I was a first cab guy. So many people from the heavy world are just like, have no clue. And they just want to run stuff over. And I'm like, that may be unwise. <laughs> but, uh, well, that was one of the most anxiety provoking things for me in the cab unit was that they were really comfortable parking vehicles and sitting in them. And I'm sure Josh can attest that in the light world, you get away from the vehicles the moment it stops and you get out of there mm -hmm. it's a big target mm -hmm. and so it was always difficult when you sit and you're just like all right well i'm just gonna wait and see what happens <laughs> like, i'm gonna hope that this dude up in the gunner's hatch can stay awake and like that was yeah. half my job was just to give him a little bit of a bump in the knee every now and then like wake the fuck up all right right some of those some of those blocking on. position conversations when when you've been out there for a night and a day and you know all you're doing is making noise to keep each other awake it's like yeah. Talk about some dumb stuff and experience some unique physiological processes. <laughs> yeah. So dude, you come back from this deployment. Um, yep. what did it look like for you to get over to Ranger school? Um, so, uh, every, basically every, every month, um, privates constantly have to report outside and do a PT test in the middle of the, of the battalion AO. Um, so they, they're constantly updating their OML, you know, to see, okay, Hey, like you're number one, you're going to Ranger school, the next slot we get, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like I said, we, we redeployed, um, like May, um, took a PT test right when I got back, um, passed it, but I was kind of second or third OML as far as like seniority as all the privates go. Um, so we went on, we went on block leave, uh, within regiment, we always did two weeks block leave prior and post deployments. 
Um, so go on block leave, come back, take another PT test, passed it. Uh, the guy who was more senior to, or more senior to me at the time um, didn't do as good as I did. So my platoon sergeant was like, all right, you're going instead of him. So sent me. Um, so I would go down. And since we're from, you know, the Pacific Northwest, we're all albino hippies up there. Um, and majority of the schools, you know, Benning, Northern, Northern Georgia, and then, then Florida, uh, they sent us down a week and a half prior to acclimate to the warmer temperature. Yeah. Um, so I basically, you, you just sit down there, they really leave you alone. You kind of just are down there to get used to hanging out in the heat, the humidity, you know, start drinking water, PT and stuff and just get ready for it. But you're really, you're kind of left alone. Um, and then we do, um, we do a, a, a ranger regiment specific pre-ranger course. Uh, so it's a two week pre-ranger course ran just for guys within regiment. Um, so did that. Um, it's basically just getting you into the mindset of, um, op orders and running, you know, squad platoon level operations and stuff like that. Um, most of it's spent out. I don't know if any of you guys know, remember Cole range out at, uh, out in Benning down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of it's ran out there. And then from there, uh, you bust down and you start uh, Darby phase. Um, the first five days, though, they call it wrap week. It's like all the assessment process. Um, so you do your, your, you know, your, your PT test, 12-mile um, ruck. You do a, a three-mile kit run with a buddy. Um, so it's you and a buddy. You got to do a three-mile run. You get back, and then you do a, a confidence course together. Um, you do the other confidence course called the Darby mile and the Darby Queens all out there as well. Once you've passed kind of all the, the, uh, the physical assessment stuff, then you actually go out to where they actually run Darby phase itself, um, out in like a training area. And so depending on the class that you go through, cause they kind of run things a little differently during, you know, summer and winter phases, and then even just kind of different classes, different companies run things a little differently. Um, it was about 11 days where we were out, um, at the, where we were doing Darby phase. So you're sleeping, uh, this, this is kind of one of the nicer phases, I guess, for sleeping. Cause you're sleeping under like a, on a gravel pit on like an overhang, like, like a metal awning. Um, mm-hmm. it's like a, each, each squad had a planning base. So Darby phase is all squad level stuff. So first phase, uh, you know, kind of the, the crawl phase. Um, so, you know, you have a squad leader, your team leaders and your squad with you and, all right, here's your squad's mission for the day. Here's your op order and da, 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 da. And then you go through writing the op order, pitching it all. And then you go out and execute. Um, the last like two days in Darby phase, um, you get into doing platoon stuff. So they bring in all the other squads and like, okay, Hey, mountains in Florida are now going to be all platoon level stuff. So let's get you a little bit prepped up on that. Um, depending again on, on the different instructors and everything else, um, they may or may not tell you whether you got a go or a no go when you're in a leadership position. Mm. Um, in order to in order to move on, um, you need to have, I want to say it's a, I don't remember. I want to say you have to have higher than a 50% like uh, go rate. Right. So like, if you got a go or if you got a no go and then they goad you like you were good, uh, if you double no goed something, you got recycled. Um, if you double no, well, actually, if you double no go the same thing, they send you home. You're done. It's like mm-hmm. if you if you no go on a patrol and then they re go you again and you no. Uh, sorry, I'm getting confused. 
So if you double no-go in the same phase, right, they'll just recycle you phases. But if you no-go it again, the next time you recycle, then they send you home. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. say like you're going through, you get a patrol, you fail it. So like, okay, hey, you're not going on to the next phase where they have too many people. You didn't get another time or whatever. So then they recycle you back into Darby. You start day one in Darby again, and then you fail patrols again. Now you're gone. But if you fail, uh, like, so my buddy spent like a hundred and some odd days in, in mountain face, oh, right? Geez. So ranger school itself is only 62 days long. If you are fortunate enough to go straight through, he spent a hundred and some odd days just in mountains alone. Um, he failed patrols, So got recycled. Then he was going through and he ended. And so then he got recycled for that. Then he was going through again. He got MRSA in his knee. So then he was a med hold. So then he had to sit there for like a, a month and some change while MRSA went away in his knee. And then he got reinserted and ended up passing and moved on. Right. But if he would have no goed one of the, like if he would have ND'd again, or if he would have no goed uh, patrol again or something, they would have just sent him back home. Um, so anyway, so like, yeah, if you get, if you go, if you're go and you're good, you, you hop on a bus they bust you up to Dahlonega, Georgia, up in the northern, up in the little mountains up there, and you start mountain phase. Um, and again, they run it, you know, depending on where you are there. Uh, mountain phase for us, uh, when I went through, we did five days in the field, came back for a half a day to refit, and then went back out for five days again. So you're sleeping in patrol bases. It rained nine out of the 10 days. We we're in the field on us. So that was super awesome because even when you try and do everything you can to take care of your feet, everything's just constantly soaking wet. And we had, we had assholes that were on point that always thought it'd be awesome to try to side slope mountains. And then you just feel like your skin on your feet ripping off and it's just miserable. And so I had a different experience in Dahlonega. My brother got married there and we, it was at a winery. <laughs> so. I, I wish I'd have that experience in Dahlonega, <laughs> but I, I don't. Um, it's a really nice town when you're there for the reasons I was I've there heard. I, I, I know, I know some people who, who live down there um, and I've heard nothing but great things about it. But my, my opinion of it is it can be wiped off the face of the earth. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I mean, chafing. Um, so kind of a, I mean, I, I this is a, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yep. So, well, so w first chafing story, we had a, a lieutenant right out of eye Bullock, um, was there. He got chafing so bad on his thighs that it was like second degree burns. Um, so they had to wrap it, threw him in a wheelchair, and he ended up getting medically kicked out of the school because it was so bad. I feel bad uh, for him, but I love the commitment, right? Like you're getting these yeah. guys who are willing to push so hard. And you talked about your buddy that got MRSA and stuff like that. Like I've heard of so many guys that have just like hidden infections, hidden injuries, just right. anything to get through the course and get it done. Yeah. Right. But, but those are the you need, you, you, need to. you need to like Ranger school yeah, yeah. is one of those things where you, you kind of need to try to hide certain things. Right. Because it, it's still trade-off. So like, yes, they can kind of push the bounds because of what the school's meant to be, but it's still trade-off. So they still have, parameters in place that you can't you can't push it um so moving forward real quick and then we'll come back like so florida phase uh we're technically still a summer school right um even though i was in florida in october so it's kind of getting into the fall winter ish time frame there like if you start if you start school in october i believe they call it a winter class but because i started in august um and i was just finishing in october it was still a summer term so they have like minimum um, temperatures right so if it got below like 40 degrees they had to pull us out and put us in the barracks. Right. And it was like two degrees off of one night in Florida. We got hit with this tropical storm that was coming in off the coast and it totally dropped the temperatures. And we were like two degrees away from them having to pull us out of the field and bring us back to the barracks in risk of hypothermia. Cause it's still a summer course. Yeah. And again, it's trade right. 
So what I was saying is, so my chafing story, um, I got chafing so bad on, you know, down below. Your balls? No, my, my, the actual, like the tip more specifically. Oh, your dick? Yeah. Was it chafing in your tip? dick? Ooh. Yeah, it was, it was just rubbing. Like, cause I was Ooh. walking so much. So it was rubbing on, and I, back then I went commando all the time. Like you don't wear underwear, you know? Urethral openings. Oh my just, God. Uh, just so <laughs> I took, I took duct tape. And I duct taped the shit out of my dick and left a hole so I could still piss, but I duct taped it. Let me tell you, the most excruciating pain taking that off, but that duct tape got me through mountains. Because if I wouldn't have duct taped that and the chafing was as bad as it was, mm, it was bad. How bad did that smell when you took the duct tape off? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It smelled... It's it smelled pretty bad, let me tell you. Yeah, make like a duct tape dick. Not, not as, what do you think? <laughs> not as bad as not as bad as like some of the things that I've smelt. You know, uh, have any of you guys deployed to Kandahar in Afghanistan ever? No. So they like, they got a big old fucking shit pond right in the middle of that base. No. That, oh god. That smelt that smelt worse than my dick, but it, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. So yeah, but I mean, I, like like again, you got to do what you got to do. Like I was not. I was not going home. Like I'm, a, I'm in, I'm in mountain phase right now. Like I'm so close to going to Florida. Like I just want to be done. You know, I just want to get it over with. And like, as much as and it's hard to say, like I was one of those guys that I was fortunate enough to go straight through. Um, and it's hard to say, like, I always told myself that I wasn't going to quit no matter what, but I, I was to the point where like, if I get no goat and I get recycled, like I'm fucking done. Like I don't want it enough. You know, and luckily, I, again, it's hard to say because I, I did, you know, I didn't want to not be in range regiment after everything that I had just gone through and whatnot so far to get there. Um, but I'm like, you know what, like, oh, I was miserable, you know, just the tears, like walking around humping lost in the woods. Like you just get in our eyes. will just walk with you. Like, again, mm-hmm. it's trade ox. So they still have parameters. Right. But like if your point man doesn't know where he's supposed to go to help where you guys plan to set up your, your, uh, your patrol base, the RIs will just let you fucking walk. And we did one night. It was mountain phase. We had just finished. I was a, I was an AG, um, and our platoon sergeant was an asshole and ordered, um, what we wanted for the whole squad ammo wise ordered it per gun. So we're holding about 3,800 rounds. Now, again, it's blank. So it's not as much, but it's still like eight pounds per hundred rounds. <clears throat> like that you know it's still pretty heavy um and i'm just miserable like so i'm i'm miserable my my dick feels like it's about to fall off you know and my buddy's like walking next to me and him and i just look at each other and we just start crying like dude like but we gotta keep going man like we got it we got it you know and uh me and him cuddled almost every night we would we weren't in the same squad at all but we like everybody in our squads knew like okay which who Who's got, who's sleeping bag you guys sleeping in tonight? We're like, Oh, we're going to come to, we're going to be in my squad, you know, or I'm going to go sleep over in his squad. So they'd know to like pull us, um, you know, when it was our turn for shifts and stuff, they would know like, okay, we got to go get Walkington from over there. Or, hey, we got to go get this guy from over here. It uh, was like our thing though. Sleepover. Like one, one of, you know, one is started getting cold in the night. So like survivability, it kept us a lot warmer. And oh, just, sure. like, it was like, it was just that, that bonding thing that him and I had, like, it was funny. So we, we nicknamed each other air conditioning was our nickname. Well, we're funny because we're trying to keep each other warm, but our nickname was air conditioning solely because Ooh. I was from, I was from alpha company and he was from Charlie company. So we're like air conditioning. And we'd always like slap hands and shit. It was so fucking gay. 
but it was <laughs> it was like that little thing that got us through you know just like whatever dude like it's quirky like, Walkington, i gotta tell you it sounds like a, a beautiful relationship it, like, it oh, was it definitely blossomed into a true bromance you know for sure <laughs> that's beautiful truly um so yeah so that was how exhausted you were out there i had a buddy and it's you know very unrelated to what you experienced and how much you, time you put in but he went over to special forces assessment selection and they made it they made it to the star course but then he he messed his knee up and, and tore something in it and so he just decided to just fucking go to sleep against a tree and just was like i'm done like, <laughs> yeah. like i can't do this anymore just slept through and then he the just... morning walked back and you, know, you get done. to that point, you know, you, you just get to that point. And, and the nice thing about Rainer school is like the one thing that I really took away and still to this day, like Rainer school, like you brain dump 90% of that shit as soon as you leave. Right. Especially for me, like guys from Rangers regiment, when we go there, usually we're, we're PFCs, you know, but it's like the army's premier leadership school. So there's E6s, E7s, captains, majors, you know, there's, there's higher ranking individuals there. And here I am a little PFC from Ranger battalion. So you kind of got a target on your back, you know, from a lot of, like I got into, I got, I went toe to toe one day with some E7 from SF group. Cause he was like, you're just a little fucking private and da da da. You're a little shit. You don't know anything. And I've got four deployments and I'm like, and yet here we are at the same fucking yeah. school together. Like shut up. You know, but you, it was like the one thing that I take away the most is what you learn about your body mentally and physically. Like, our bodies are very resilient, very strong things. Our bodies will not give up. Like it takes a lot to have our bodies really give up. It's all mental. And like, you really find that out in ranger school when, I mean, on average. So in, in the 62 days that I was there, I probably averaged 45 minutes of sleep a night, like sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more, more usually on when, um, you know, you're about to go to the next phase and they kind of let you sleep for a couple hours. You're in the, you're in the barracks, you're kind of cleaning things up, turning in supply that's phase specific. But when you're like in the phase and you're going, yeah, because again, the RIs won't walk you to your spot. So unless you get to your patrol base, you get through your actions and patrol base and stuff and get into your sleep pan, your plan fast. Like they don't give a shit, you know? Um, so like you're averaging, you know, like I said, 45 minutes of sleep a night an MRE or two a day, you know, depending, uh, you know, again, in the end, they won't, we, we had a, a supply request get screwed up and the guy only ordered one day's worth of MREs for three days of mission and they didn't bring any extra MREs. So now you're rationing an one MRE to last for three days when those things are nowhere near the amount of calories compared to what you need for your output. You know, I mean, so you, you stink. Breaking down and eating the charms finally. Oh, dude, I, I was eating bugs. I was eating whatever I could. Like, you, you, you got to do. Like, you stink. Yeah. You know, uh, the first, I mean, the first, like, three weeks of that course, your body's already out of fat. So now, from there on out, your body's eating off of its muscle, and that shit reeks. Yeah. Uh, if, if you guys have never smelt um, a body eating its muscle, uh, exactly like ammonia. So now yeah. you, everybody just <laughs> smells like ammonia and body odor. And, your breath changes that there's a taste in your oh, mouth that's always like it's miserable gross. and then and then your you, your immune system shot so if somebody gets somehow gets sick you're all dis- getting dysentery <laughs> dysentery flew through the barracks in in mountain phase there was like oh, the organ like, trail came to life there was like 30 guys got dysentery in mountain oh. phase um we were just in the bathroom nonstop, out both ends i mean it was it's brutal you know yeah. um so then going forward so the florida phase um, I ended up getting uh, contact dermatitis 
and epitigo somehow in my face from coming in contact with something. It's like I wake up one day and I've got this nasty fucking scabby rash by my, by my lips, on my cheeks and on my forehead. And I've got these like water blisters like all over my face. And I'm like, oh God, you know, so I go and talk to the RI, the ranger instructor. And I'm like, hey, um, <laughs> I need some help, dude. <laughs> and luckily it was the, the last day. So again, Florida was just like mountains. We did five out in the field, back for about a day and a half and then five out in the field. And luckily it was on the last day of the first five. So we were coming back to the barracks that afternoon. He's like, okay, we'll take you to the medics and have them check you out. So sure enough, they, you know, they're like, yeah, it's, it's this and that. And here's some facial steroid cream. We're going to give you a shot and take this pill. And now you're on an O'Shea profile. So I was walking around John Wayne for the next five days, <laughs> which made it really hell at night when you're walking with nods, but you can't buckle your chin straps. So I'm walking like one hand holding my freaking nods, one hand holding my gun, you know, a, heavy ass rucksack on my back i'm like please just don't let me fall um and uh yeah so that was cool then about a day after that we're out in the field again i got bit in the stomach by a brown recluse Jesus. luckily luckily caught it so the do the medic came over poked it and gave me a little steroid shot in the gut i had a scar it didn't it never popped like as far as like you know when it implodes on itself and starts eating your flesh uh -huh. but still from where the bite was initially i had a scar for like three years on my stomach where it was it's a non-healing wound. It was hell. I'm like, God, can we just be done already? You know? Then, uh, <clears throat> it's not even the training that got you. It was the environment. <laughs> right. Like, I will well, not, I will never make it in Naked and Afraid. We'll just, we're never going to go <laughs> that route. Like, no. That's just one thing that I've, I feel like I want to check in with you on, about is like, that's the sort of stuff that usually gets people, you know? Because once you get past that certain point, it's not, it's not the, you know, it's the pebble in your shoe, not the catastrophic failure until right. it is the catastrophic failure. And that like ends a lot of uh, nascent, you know, or, or mature special forces community careers. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You definitely, <laughs> you know, it, it is, it's the, it's the little things that you might not think about that turn into something, like you said, very catastrophic quickly, if it's not nipped in the butt as soon as it can't possibly be, you know? Right. So for people who don't know what like Ipatigo and contact dermatitis and um, a brown recluse bite, like what, what all that composes, that's a infected rash on your face and a, and a spider bite that like becomes necrotizing, becomes like a self propagating wound that just continues to eat your flesh. Right. So that's yeah. like three nightmares that you made it through <laughs> to go sit on a blocking position for seal. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't forget the duct tape dick. And the duct tape like, dick. Yeah. yeah, I was leaving that out because I, I didn't want to spend too much time on it. But yes, like, that, that's really fucking monstrosity. <laughs> Shit. Uh, uh, but yeah, so, yeah. I so, I mean, after that, I mean, that's – I think that was the majority of the, the hiccups that happened in ranger school, you know, and you finally get to, uh, you know, get your, your black and gold and – get back and now I'm a tab D four and I can start smoking the shit out of privates. You know, it was a great time. That's awesome. So then what you guys, how much more time, where was your unit at? You, you know, you, you disappear for two months. So You're probably still working up. Yeah. So, um, while I was actually in pre ranger, we were doing, so every two years, uh, we do change of commands, very similar to the, you know, normal units every two years, change of command and then change responsibility, you know, in the alternating years. So we do a, a regimental change of command and it's um, they call it Ranger Rendezvous. It happens down in Fort Benning. For those of you that might've been in Benning, you might've heard or know of Ranger Rendezvous. 
Uh, it's pretty big. All the Rangers, like everybody who's in country comes to the thing. Rangers from, you know, past all come to it. It's a huge thing. It's, it's a week long. It starts off by, you know, second and first bat usually jump in um, to the, to the DZ there. And then uh, we do um, sport competitions, fighting competitions. Uh, We do a regimental five mile run. Everybody's always pissed drunk, hung over on it, puking all over the place. And then we do the change of command and all that good stuff. So while I was in pre-ranger, they actually had changing that was going on. So all my buddies were talking about coming and fucking breaking into my room and bringing me out and getting me drunk and bringing me back. And I was like, no, you're not like, I'm here for this. I'm not getting kicked out. So my first Sergeant, actually, I heard a story while I was there, uh, actually stole a bus with a bunch of other E4s and E5s and they just <laughs> took it on a, they took it on a binger in downtown Columbus and got all pissed drunk and brought it back or turned the bus. Like <laughs> crazy shit. Yeah. Rangers would do fucking play hard, work hard type thing, you know? Okay. Um, so yeah, they were just doing their, they were doing their training cycle and stuff as kind of business as usual. They were still state side, just doing, doing, like I said, just training. Um, so I got back from Ranger school in October um, did some training November and early in December. And then we deployed again, December, that would have been December 09. Um, and that was the, uh, the deployment that, uh, was probably my worst, um, because my team leader died that deployment about a week before we came home. Um, actually just had his, his tenure, uh, on the 16th was, was the day he died back in March. Um, so, but when we got back, got back to the, uh, got back from Ranger school, we did a pretty fun, couple fun trainings. We did some stuff up in the mountains, up in Snoqualmie pass and things, Nick, you, you might remember where that's at. Um, oh, yeah. like Baker pass and all that area up there. That was pretty cool. We, we were trudging around in waist deep snow, trying to fucking bound on enemy positions. <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Uh, all of our guns wouldn't shoot. Cause I had, I was a saw gunner at the time. Now as a tab before, you know, you, you carry the saw. And so that thing was just, a freaking ice block in my hands basically um so yeah got back and then like i said we, de- we deployed and that was it was a fun deployment up until like i said that that mission but um i don't know that i've heard many stories about anybody being a saw gunner and having that weapon system function that well half the time uh so on deployment so our saws we don't have the normal saws uh regiment carries the of course uh, you don't <laughs> the regiment regiment we have the mark 46s it's the more urban compact it's the seals version of the saw um so we have an issue sometimes with them solely because they come from the manufacturer with some special coating on them to make them still functional after they've been completely submerged in the water because they're a seal team's gun so for some reason, it, it can kind of mess up a little bit when they're used more in a drier environment. They're not getting soaked all the time. Um, but we use them, collapsible buttstock, shorter barrel. They're two and some pounds different, lighter than the normal saw, and they're a couple inches shorter. Same thing with like our 240s. We got the Limas way back when, so we were already carrying lighter 240s and you know, the conventional army was using. And then we also had the Mark 48, which is, again, the same thing as the it's the seals version of the 240. So it's got a collapsible buttstock, shorter barrel, um, still can reach out to distance. Um, but it's more for urban, you know, urban environment stuff. So they're fun. I shot the hell out of that thing. But yeah, uh, on that deployment though, when I was a Sauganer, I had no issues. I, I, I fired that thing, uh, quite a few different firefights and never had issues, but I had my nine on me just in case I had to bust a cap too, you know? 
I can only imagine that Kansas hiding behind a <laughs> rock with a little nine mil trying to pop up. <laughs> do any type of damage. Yeah. Indirect fire. Yeah, right. Arc in it. Okay, I yeah. got it. Some so. Call of Duty shit right there. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of what kind of missions? So what was your AO then in that de- deployment? Like, where were you guys? At? Um, so that was we were we were based out of Kandahar. Um, and we were doing everything just in that whole uh, Kandahar, Panjaway, Maiwan, you know, the big IED central area. Um, most of our stuff, because of how IED riddled Highway 1 is that goes from basically Kandahar, like into downtown Kandahar City, uh, we didn't do a whole lot of what we call it as GAF, the ground assault force. So via strikers, everything we always did was usually via like Chinooks. Um, so we were just doing a lot of just our, you know, the typical direct action raid, this deployment, you know, point target going in, getting out the same night of darkness. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did, we were, we were pretty busy that one. Um, so in the, you know, four months or so, hundred and some odd days, I want to say we got up into like the 60 or 70 missions that deployment. So we were pretty busy almost yeah, nightly. That's a high op tempo. Yeah. It, it was fun. Like I said, we had a really, it was a really good deployment. We were really active and, and doing a lot of good stuff. Um, so that was a fun one. I said up until the end. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm, again, I'm, I don't know. I know I'm not the only one who's, you know, lost somebody. And, and unfortunately more often than not, it always seems that a lot of the situations are within that final couple days, weeks or so right before, you know, you're set to rip out and redeploy. And, and that's how this was. Like I said, we were, we were about a week in, a week and a half out, um, we knew it was going to be a, a hairy, a hairy mission. Uh, we'd been watching it for three days or so this house. Um, and we had constantly seen, you know, even through the night rolling patrols of armed guards and everything. So, I mean, they were, they were ready for something. Um, we were ready too, and it was just a lucky right when the bird landed, we came off and me and my team leader go to button hook to get to where we needed to. And he just caught a lucky round right under his helmet. And, Damn. um, you know, he, he fought, he fought for three days, but, um, you know, he ended up succumbing to the wounds. It's, it was shitty. Um, and we, we fucked up eight out of the nine people on, that were on that objective that night. Um, the one that survived was actually the one that we were targeting and tracking. It was a female from Jordan that went to Iraq, had a sex change to join the oh. Taliban to fight us. Um, so our medic had to do the, had to do the little courtesy check to see and he, something he said it was the most disgusting, disturbing, something about it, like upside down, not looking functional. I, I don't know. Dead, decrepit. Yeah. That's so, um, you look at a lot of so she, yeah. she didn't pay top dollar for that then. I know, obviously not. Okay. Um, but yeah. is there, um, is I'm, there I'm, duct tape on her dick? <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have supplied some, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, whatever that, that thing, it was, it was a fighter. Uh, when, when we pulled her out of, of a building, she had three gunshot wounds and like four shrapnel holes on her from, I mean, she was, I how she didn't, uh, she didn't die as well. I don't know. Um, had a pretty shitty fucking day, you know? Well, and so and I did too. So mm-hmm. one of my, one of my privates, so I, I was still, uh, I was still, that was the same deployment. I was, I was a saw gunner. Right. Um, and so one of my privates was charged with, Hey, you, you need to detain and, you know, bring, bring this thing with us. And she was able to walk. 
Uh, most of them were like upper body torso. So one of them was on the chest. So we had a chest seal on her. And when we're sitting in, we're sitting in our, in our posture, waiting for the birds to come pick us up. And all of a sudden he's like, Hey specialist. He's like, I got an issue. I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like the birds are almost here. And he's like, no, like it's bleeding. And so I like, I'm like, I don't fucking care. Well, my company commander was right in front of me and I didn't realize it. And he's like, Hey, Walkington, he had a really deep voice. He's like, Hey, Walkington, like we got to fix this. And I was like, God damn it, sir. So I took my finger and I fucking just jabbed it right into her chest. And she's like, <laughs> like screeches. It works. And, and I'm like, pull out another seal. So like we had to throw another seal on her and, and then we loaded her in the bird and took off. But how'd you get those uh, things to stick is my question. I wiped it with her little man dress thing that she was rocking. And yeah. Were they the regular Ashman ACS ones or did you guys have high speed ones? I, I think it might've been a halo that we were using at those times. They had to do something to improve the ones that we had because I don't know if it was the heat in Baghdad, but the adhesive yeah. just like cooked right off for everybody's sweaty. Like right. it was not a useful tool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, all right, let me open this up and then you use the plastic wrap and you're like, I can, this will make a seal. Right. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what know? it was, but sorry, go ahead. So that sad anniversary you mentioned your team leader uh, just had a 10th year. Did you mark it in any way? Did I, uh, we usually put, what do you mean? Like, yeah. Like connecting with old teammates or, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously like, you know, a bunch of us always, and even a uh, regiment on their Facebook page is always good about doing, you know, like a uh, ranger, airborne ranger in the sky anniversaries and stuff. Um, you know, and then a bunch of us will just text or call each other to see how we're all doing. And it's good, you know, cause we get busy with our daily lives. So we don't keep in contact all too often. Uh, you know, it's, it's more so around the unfortunate circumstance events such as this, uh, you know, we just check in, Hey man, how you doing? How's life? You know, we, we all obviously do a lot more just like everybody. We do a lot more of the social media monitoring, you know, so keeping up with each other's lives via, via Facebook and stuff. Uh, and then, you know, that when that time comes around. So I, I talked with a couple, couple good buddies that I haven't talked to in a couple months, just see how everyone's doing and do a, yeah. do a memorial, memorial shot or something for them, you know, and. And not to leave this guy, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't want this guy to be never forgotten. Would you be comfortable sharing his name or anything like that? Yeah, of course. His, uh, his name was uh, Sergeant Joel David Clarkson. He's uh, he was from, from Alaska, uh, left behind uh, a wife and a four-month-old little boy. Um, and, and sad. I mean, horrible story is that uh, last, uh, what month was it? Sometime last, I forget exactly what month last year, mom just passed away to, uh, to leukemia as well. Oh, so boys, boys now 10, almost 11, um, living with uh, grandma and grandpa back up in Alaska now. So wow. sad. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunate. But he's got a lot of, got a lot of kick-ass uncles that, um, yeah, for you know, sure. keep, we keep track on him and make sure things are going well. And we all wrote, uh, <clears throat> we all wrote a little thing, like a little one page right when we got back from that deployment and we all published it into a little book for him with memories that we all had of his dad and stuff. That is super cool. Yeah. Wow. That's one of the yeah, things really I've noticed cool. out of, you know, I think regular, regular veterans, we all have a connection, but, but there was one thing I remember uh, you and I were at Sonic Boom, you were working your tent, I was working my tent. And uh, one of the dudes who worked for one of the bands just like kind of came out of nowhere and pulled you aside quick. And you guys just all of a sudden are laughing and then he walks away and, you know, it turns out, I think that guy was in bat too, but it was like, um, you know, it's a pretty tight knit community you guys have. You really do look after each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, you know, people think, uh, you know, regiment, Ranger regiment is, is, is big. Um, we're probably one of 
we're, we're a bigger size when it comes as far as to like, you know, special operations community. Um, you know, you look at like the SEAL teams are relatively small. Delta is, is relatively small. SF is, I mean, they're big if you include, you know, their, their team guys as well as their support staff. Uh, the, the thing about Ranger Regiment, you know, is, is everybody's a Ranger first, regardless of what your job is. We've all, we, they don't have a separate selection process for your support MOSs compared to your combat arms. So everybody goes through the same selection. Everybody earns the same tan beret, you know, like with, with an SF, you know, the only time you get a green beret is if you've gone through the Q course and you're a select and then you get your long tab and a green beret. But if you're, you know, if you're a cook, if you're an, an ammo in a, a guy or something, all you got to do is go through a smaller little selection process to, to get into one of their support companies. And, and you, you know, you don't get a green beret, you don't get a, a tab like that. So, um, you know, we definitely act and, and view it as such when we're deployed, you know, our, um, you know, our echo company is what we call them as our support company. You know, we use them as far as like drivers and gunners and, you know, we'll bring them out. And, and I mean, they're, they're, they're shooters if we need them at the end of the day, you know, they've gone through the same training and, uh, you know, we definitely try to take care of our own and, and all that. But yeah, I think, uh, back, you know, Oh, I guess go ahead, a, sorry. a little story I wanted to tell is, you know, thinking about like uh, you're a week away from getting home and then all of a sudden shit, shit goes down. You know, it's yeah. something happened in our deployment is, is we're probably three or four weeks away. And then, you know, we had a car or a V bed roll up right behind us on an overpass and just fucking lay destruction. And, you know, that was probably the busiest day I ever had. But then even beyond that, I remember after our last mission rolling in uh, a, one of our different platoons that was in tanks, we had one, one platoon that was in tanks and then the rest other three platoons were all, on Humvees and one of the decisions they decided to make is one of their tanks ran over a bunch of uh, hooches on the side of the road like little stands because mm -hmm. evidently they just you know felt like they had to get some energy out or whatever yeah. and so then we get back in and then guess what we got to do we got to go back out and do a damage assessment and so like that's right. one of those times where we thought we were done mentally I started to turn it back down a little bit and I remember I was, you know, we sort of decide who was all going to go in this tasking. And of course I was a senior medic for our company. So I jump in in there and that was one of the few times I remember roll out back outside of the wire and just being like, fuck man, this is it. Like there was a time period where you get over there and you just, you've kind of succumbed to your fate. You're like, I'm a dead man walking and I'm content with that. But then when you, when you turn that off just a little bit and then have to try to switch back, I just remember that whole time I was like, fuck, this is awful, man. Something bad's right. And it didn't get back in safely, but just, uh, it was exhausting. Right. I'm glad, I'm glad you said some of the stuff you said there. I appreciate that, Adam. Uh, like, my experience was kind of different. Like, we had a, on, on this particular deployment, it was 15 months long, and we were just in a slog, you know, from the jump. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, like, we got reinforced by some striker dudes from Second ID. And, um, like, that was enough to turn the corner and, like, you know, kicking up doors and, and just go like block by block. Uh, so things calmed down, right. For like the, the back third of this 15 month, just, you know, smorgasbord of bad news. But uh, so I, I got out right away after that. Right. I'm like off active duty at least. So I'm twiddling my thumbs, like thinking everything's gravy, just waiting for the economy to fall down. But um, like then, then, you know, dudes that I had worked with, like I'm at home and I'm like, you know, we had just left the guy that I was on that deployment with. We got back recycled. Somehow he gets over there. And within like the first, you know, six months of me being out this dude, I get the sad news that a man of, uh, you know, a guy that I was uh, intimately involved in operations with 
over there like perished you know and that was that was just a a total blow out of nowhere that i just didn't expect and i wonder josh if you had anything kind of after like later on in your career after getting a little distance from the high op tempo crew that is sort of special operations and the the ranger bats especially um you know if if that's something that you kind of have had to deal with that that you know after the fact almost sort of retrospective surprise um luckily i haven't had anybody that i've worked with or i've known directly that i was really close with that has um passed you know overseas um i've had like most you know and the the big issue that you know we constantly are harping on as far as our veteran communities go is is suicides among the veteran community um so i've had a lot of of people that i've known either directly or you know known of um, that have taken their own lives. Um, at one point, what was it? Three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago, like right when I was going through my divorce, um, in a four month period, I had six buddies that I knew that all took their lives in a four month period. Um, so that, that hit pretty hard, you know I mean? That it's like, what, what the fuck are we doing? I mean, and these were all guys within regiment, you know, um, all guys that were, ranger who had had very you know what we view as a successful you know career um, most of them or some of them were rather highly decorated you know and it didn't seem like um, you know that they would have an issue with, with stuff like that and uh you know the one that hit that probably hit closest was a, a buddy of mine that um was a single dad of three kids uh, you know and it's just you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it <clears throat> like that um, you know, and this is when I was kind of going ahead a little bit, but this is when I was going through a lot of my stuff as well. Um, you know, I was going through my divorce and my divorce really opened up my eyes that I had a lot of issues that I hadn't resolved yet from all my time, you know, within range regiment and things. So, um, I was, you know, started reaching out and getting some help and doing some stuff to just, just to better myself and make sure that I'm good for my kids and stuff like that. So it was just hard to see, you know, and then you start, you know, kind of like the, the buyer's remorse type stuff, you know, start thinking like, well, what could I have done differently or better to try to help? And it's hard to, you know, obviously it's never really on us fully, but it's hard to, you know, separate yourself like that for sure. Um, but yeah, as far as, and that was one of my biggest concerns when I, like I said, the deployment where I cut my finger and I didn't go overseas. And then the one that I would have had to go on right before I was about to get out. Um, I was just, that was my biggest fear is that something was going to happen to one of my guys when I wasn't there. Um, then fortunately, like I said, nothing did, but that was always, a a worry of mine, you know? Yeah. yeah that's you. like one of the little things in a regular unit is, you know, they'll do two week R and R's and ship you back home or whatever. And, and that was one of the exhausting things as a senior medic in, in our company was, was leaving and then coming back for two weeks and like, who's, who's the guy who's going to take care of my guys. And like, you know, luckily I'd been part of the medical platoon and I knew the other medics were there and I got the opportunity to kind of hand select who was going to be my replacement, but you know, it doesn't right. matter. You're still, it's hard to go home and be home for your family and things like that. When mentally you're not there, you, you need to be somewhere else. And it's, it's exhausting. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. I just want to react like to a couple things you said, Josh. And and then um, one thing that you said too, Adam's like, um, first off, it's like, Adam, my experience as a medic was like totally different because we were just running out of dudes. Like the medics for whatever reason, a lot of people like, you know, succumb to sort of combat related things, but there are deserters and dudes getting cycled back for like psych breakdowns. 
and some malingering going on. It was nuts. Like, I don't know, you know, I'm glad that, you know, bug didn't bite me, but we were running out of, of qualified personnel. But uh, Josh, like, to your point about losing, you know, six of your connections in a cluster like that, like, those things, those ripple effects and those suicide clusters. And Adam, I'm sure you can talk more about this from a professional standpoint too, but that's just one of those cruel twists and like psychological phenomena that are, you know, apparent in the literature and stuff that's like really jarring to me. And then the other thing is like people kill themselves. Uh, you know, my experience has taught me is like people kill themselves in ways other than suicide a lot too. Like, Op- the opioid mm-hmm. uh, epidemic has got a couple of my my former brothers in arms, so I just right. wanted to add that to the conversation. Or in reckless behavior, you know, it's a fuck. There's a reason I chasing sold, the thrill. You know, there's a reason I sold my sport bike and got onto a Harley. Man, I need to slow the fuck down. Well, that was shit. It. And so that was the first even week. even on Harleys, though, you can still, especially your little sport guy that you got. I mean, you can still get that thing going. Dude, that's a 107. Come on now. <laughs> That was a, the first first week back from my first deployment. A homeboy went and got a, and he's a fine soldier, you know, but just like, eh, I want to I wanna go take a little bike for a rip. Don't have any experience, but I'll figure it out. Lays it down. Um, you know, next thing you know, he's got UCMJ and skin grafts. But right. a guy right before my second deployment, and again, this guy, a fabulous soldier, a well-respected NCO in the battalion, same thing, laid his bike down, lost his arm, uh, no deployment for him. It's the rate of right. attrition, you know, that shit happens. I, we, you know, I got out cycle out right after we got back from our deployment and uh, another buddy did too. And then, you know, three weeks later, he dies in a car accident, you know, driving to work. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, man, you, you got through oh. one of the harder times um, in your life and this happens. So clearly that stuff sucks. Maybe get us back on track to your next deployment. The, uh, the, the train up before my third one, then, um, we were actually only back for a short time. We got, uh, we got spawned, spawned. We got, we got brought on to redeployment cycle real fast, um, to help with the surge back in. Um, so we were going on a special, uh, special deployment this time for, this would, would be my six monther. Um, and, and this deployment, our, our mission set was more of doing our direct action raids that we had done in the past. So now we're doing more um, shaping operations. So what we would do is we would look at uh, and monitor for about a week to two weeks, depending uh, different villages that were known Taliban, Al Qaeda strongholds, um, places that hadn't really been in by any coalition forces, you know, for uh, an amount of time. Um, so we'd watch them gain Intel, you know, so we would know where the C2 element was, where they kept their weapons, where if they had houses that were like H bids, uh, all that good stuff. Um, and then what we would do is we would go in on a period of darkness. We'd kind of stir up the, the rabbit's nest and then we'd find a house, uh, right outside kind of close to it. And we'd hunker down in there we were, we were going out, um, two platoons, you know, so company minus, uh, we barricade and lock ourselves in this house. Then we'd stay there all day. And we basically were just target practice for the Taliban and the Al Qaeda. And then we would just get our fight on, um, calling in more airstrike and, uh, air assets than really kind of gun to gun fighting. Um, you know, so that was when, then what we would do is, so we'd stay there all day, do what we had to do. And then that next period of darkness, we'd hop back on the birds, we'd take off. And then usually about 
anywhere between like a day and three days later, coalition forces, mainly, you know, usually always American forces would now come through and start doing door to door and clearing and trying to regain ground that we once might've had. Um, so a little bit of a slower deployment as far as our op tempo went, I think we did 20 some odd missions, but again, we were watching things. And then when we were out, we were out for a lot longer than usual. Um, you know, we were always, we would, we were always getting into gunfights. Um, and that was a, a fun deployment for me, um, because I was a, um, an actual gunner at this time. So I was carrying that Mark 48 or the 240 that we were talking about. So each, each time we'd go out, each gun would have about 1200 rounds and I'd come back with maybe 200 each time, you know, nice. I was just, you know, whether it was actually like directly engaging people or if I was just doing like some known likely and suspected on like wood lines or popping a couple rounds off by a building that we knew people were kind of maybe hunkering down in or something. Um, but there was no like ammo res, you know, don't, don't reserve your, like we were use this ammo or let's get some stuff going. Yeah. Recon um, by fire. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that one, we, we did lose another guy, unfortunately mm -hmm. on that one, he was a, a mortar guy that was attached to us from one seven five. Uh, his name was our first class Lance Vogler. Um, our mortar guys uh, were, were some badass dudes. Um, so we would get out there. Um, so when, our normal platoons, <clears throat> we'd roll with a 60 team that would be attached with us, right? Uh, for this deployment, we were bringing out 81s with us. Um, so they would come on. So again, we'd, we were doing the two strike forces, right? So one strike force would go like right to a house. One would be off in the distance. Then we'd link back up. So our 81s would set up a mortar firing point inside the objective that we would secure. And as soon as we'd start getting incoming or something, they would run out and do counter battery type missions. Well, they went out one time and, and unfortunately around came in and basically landed like right in the mortar firing point. Uh, pretty much got him right away, wounded about five other dudes. Um, so it was uh, again, a, a, a pretty big setback on that one. Um, but we did a lot. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't for nothing in my opinion. I don't really think anything really is. I don't oh, maybe yeah. agree with the war hundred percent. Like probably most don't at this point. Um, but we did a lot of good stuff that, 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 uh, deployment. Um, one of my buddies who's a pilot now had, uh, heard a number. He was over there a year, two years ago. So this is now nine years, eight years after the fact that we were in there during this deployment at this time when he was there two years ago and heard a number from some Intel gurus that the amount of, uh, casualties that we inflicted that deployment was up near the 2000 mark. <laughs> nice. Um, so in a six month period, we wiped off the face of this earth about 2000 terrorizers. So, but yeah, it was a fun deployment. That one, um, got to do some pretty cool stuff. Got some pretty sweet ammo. We got some ammo from a, from a Delta team that was a, a different mix than usual. Um, so usually it's the four to one ball to trace. Well, they had a three to one to one. Uh, which was three ball, one trace, one IR trace. Oh, that's pretty sweet. It looked really cool under nods. Fun. Yeah. One of the things I think about, you know, you talk about two people pass on your deployment. Um, you know, we had ours too. I lost my platoon sergeant when I was there, but uh, nobody ever really talks about, or at least I haven't heard publicly people talking about it much is that, um, you know, that person obviously goes through the medical system and, and goes home in some way, but like, the fact that you guys roll back inside the wire and then you got to pack this person's gear, you know, it's not yeah. like some magical force shows up and like takes care of it. So like you kind of inventory your buddy's stuff and everything and pack it up and send it back. And I think that's one of the, probably the harder times 
I think that a lot of guys have to experience in deployment and, and, you know, I, don't, I just don't think anybody's talking about it. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a hard time, you know, like going through the gear. I mean, it's kind of one thing, you know, cause we all got the same shit more or less, but it's going through their personal items and belongings yeah. and you know, you've got to take down notes of every little thing you find. And, um, you know, one thing that, uh, that I didn't really like that I, you know, most, again, most people don't talk about it. So most people might not know if they haven't experienced this firsthand is that after, um, you know, after the, that person is either discharged, either they're moving out of country, um, you know, for being wounded or they're, you know, they're dead or whatever, um, all their gear that was on them, even when they got wounded comes back and it's usually just like in a fucking garbage bag. Uh, yeah, I hate so to say like, that. I was on the side that was putting it in the bag and it's just like, that was hard, man. Cause then you give it to the chaplain. And if you got a chaplain that comes on site, you bust right. it off. It's just like, that's not the way you managed it, man. Right. It's, I mean, and I, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, we got to do what we got to do to make, make means. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, like you get that back. So now you've got, you know, a, a buddy of a friend, a brother's gear that's now blood speckled and whatever else. And it's tough, you know, it definitely is. Uh, it definitely is hard um for sure so there was a uh, something i'd like to share with you guys is uh an incident from my first deployment where we had a uh, we'd set up our aid station you know and we were living pretty comfortably like staying on the fob eating warm food from the chow hall and like sleeping on a mattress every night but uh part of our tasking was like mortuary affairs for the rest of the brigade and we had like a big refrigerated connex that was used primarily for that purpose. But uh, some some individual, and I don't know if this was coalition forces or what, but um, they had been evacuated into this refrigerated connex like earlier on in this deployment. And at some point it lost power and was never, like power was never restored to it. And when like the remains of this individual were were moved to wherever the next destination was, like a body part got left behind and it was in an MRE bag. And I'm pretty sure it was like a foot, but uh, like, I never really got like into it. Right. I just kind of like, like we're cleaning this out and like, I pick up this bag of what, of what I think it's like a red biohazard bag of red biohazard bags. But then I feel uh, something that's like distinctly different than like plastic bags uh, and it like sort of kind of unrolling itself. And I'm just like, put it down. I'm like, I figured out what that is. Um, so I don't know how that got like, how that occurred and how it got rectified. I just like escalated it up my uh, NCO support channel, but the shit is wild to think about because yeah, like you're, like you're saying, Josh, it's not just like, you don't just respawn and the, and you know, whatever just kind of evaporates into you know, no more transparent pixels or whatever. Like people right. have to go fucking sweep up, you know? Yeah. It gets, it gets messy and it gets really, uh, really emotional real fast. Well, yeah, you otherwise you guys had a successful deployment. It sounds like you guys really, you know, it's, it's anytime you feel like you have, you take a loss, you want to make sure that, you know, you made your time worth it when you had time on. And so right. I'm, I'm glad you guys maybe got, got a way to put some of that energy back out. And, and yeah. That's in those missions. How yeah, was for the, sure. like how were the locals living when when your acquaintance went back for that other like you know that two year ago stint was were things more peaceful or was it I mean just by it's it's a lot more, more political. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would know I, I 
he did. So he went back not uh, as a shooter. He is now a pilot. So he's an Apache pilot. So he was saying it was actually pretty cool to be on the above ground picture now, as yeah. far as, you know, being one of the guys that is being called in by the troops in contact where he's like, man, you know, it was like when we used to call him in, we'd look up and be like, dude, that's so cool to be an Apache pilot. He's like, and now I'm the guy down there. Like, man, I miss being those guys. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know about the peacefulness. Uh, he said it's just a lot more political and you know, they're not running ops is even as close to what they used to in the past and, and everything else. So definitely times have changed quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was going through some stuff, uh, the other day and I, I have this souvenir which uh, might be a, in violation of general order number one, but it's just a piece of Iraqi currency that our translator had signed. Like he read, left me a little handwritten note. He's like, Hey, thanks for being here. We appreciate your help and support. And I was like, 15 years on, like, I'm not sure that many Iraqis still feel that way. But at the right. time it was like, you know, I was there for the first, you know, the first uh, Iraqi election. It was, it was, definitely like times have changed yeah for sure i mean i was there um uh during the re-election whole process and all that good stuff that was pretty high tension yeah elections but suck holy that's that, that's cool that you had that i know um so which deployment was this uh i don't have anything as far as like a you know you were saying like a thank you or anything um I had, I was somewhat closer to one of my deployments. So I was my last deployment when I was a squad leader. Uh, my squad was in charge of kind of the training in the corralling of the KKA, the Kutakas, whatever they were called. It was like the Afghan army special forces that were assigned with us to come out. Cause at this time we were really starting to get into the less of us, more of them type stuff. Um, and so the squad leader and one of his team leaders um, I became pretty close with and, and actually hung out with them quite a bit. Um, the team leader, his, his name was, uh, Zab, um, I think it was Zabi Bula was his name, but I'm like, bro, I'm like, your name's too hard. I'm like, I'm gonna call you Z. You know, he was like, yeah, Z. And you know, so he was all excited and he told all of his dudes to start calling him Z instead of his actual name. So he started going by Z. I thought it was pretty sweet. And then the, uh, the, the squad leader talked about how much he liked, uh, um, which uh, was it Colombians or Puerto Ricans talked about how much he liked their women. Cause they got big butts and <laughs> he loved going down. <laughs> He's to not Can wrong. He's loved not going wrong. down. Brown, to baby. <laughs> he loved going down to Kandahar to the, the little boardwalk that they had there. Cause they would do like a salsa night one night a week or something like that. And he said, he'd always be trying to find like these certain girls. I was like, well, whatever, man. Uh, he actually was, he told me a pretty cool story. He was coming home one time, uh, after they had just finished like a training, they were doing some training on, um, Kabul and he did some interview with like, uh, I forget some local, you know, Afghani media. And he basically was, you know, dissing, talking shit about the Taliban. And as he was driving to his house on leave, he got stopped by a Taliban checkpoint that they had on one of the roads. And he was like, he's thinking, he's like, I'm dead. You know, they've already seen, luckily uh, they hadn't released the news clip yet. So they had no idea who he was. They questioned him like about his hands though. Cause he had like, he had, you know, his hands looked like, you know, working hands. And then he had some special gloves that the military issue gloves. And he was like, Oh, I found them. You know, he made up some kind of bullshit story, but they let him go. And uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy to get the insight, you know, of like, 
the real life stuff that goes on over there as far as like these checkpoints that the Taliban has set up that they're doing that, you know, and if they, like he said, you know, if they would have known who he was, they would have just executed him right there. And then they would have tracked down his family and probably executed his family. You know, that's, that's the biggest fear for like our interpreters, you know, is they go by fake names. They always wear things to not show their faces because they don't want to be, you know, seen who they are and they're working with us, but their families are unprotected somewhere, usually in country. And if that, you know, if that stuff gets out there, then their family could, you know, get in some serious trouble. So. Right. You bet. And I'm sure we could go on and on about like how we can repay folks like that and all the support, you know, and that could get pretty hairy in a hurry. But uh, what I'm interested in is hearing more about is kind of like now you're, it sounds like in, in the story of your life, you're about to do a pretty big pivot from like this active duty, high tempo, special forces, uh, you know, background into recruiting. So I did, I did a few more deployments, right? So I did, I did a total of six. So my last one, yeah, like I was just talking about, I did the training. Um, that's actually, I got wounded on that last one um, on an objective. My first sergeant took two rounds to his gut. Well, one round in the gut, one round in the center of his plates and one round in his wrist. And still to this day, I talk shit to him because I told him those were my rounds because he should not have been where he was as a first sergeant, but I can't tell him to get the fuck out of my stack, you know, as a squad leader. So here we are, we push, we're pushing through this field and he gets wounded and I get, I get hit. Um, I got shrapnel, uh, Forrest Gumped in the buttocks. Um, (laughs) How it hit me in the butt, I must've hit, I think it hit my medic's gun and splintered off and shot back. And I got hit because we were kind of side by side in the line. Anyways, um, that was a fun, that was a fun mission. That was like the final mission before we went home. We, we killed like 29 people. Um, it's pretty sweet. Um, so yeah. So anyways, get back, start having, you know, had the issue, uh, with my finger. So I didn't go on that one. Um, on that deployment when I was staying home is when me and my ex kind of decided that I was going to get off active duty. You know, I'd been in for about seven years now, deployed a bunch of times, um, one kid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, so they moved me over from the, the company that I was in to our support company. And I, I ran a headquarters platoon there, uh, did a lot of logistical stuff and whatnot. And then, uh, had my, had my son and then left active duty. Um, uh, my, my plan was initially to stay out in Washington. I, I did a one year contract with the reserves, um, solely cause the reserve unit was there on post and the nearest guard infantry unit was two and a half hour drive. And I wasn't about to do that. Um, so during that time though, is we decided uh, to, to leave Washington and move back closer to family here in the, in the state line and whatnot. Um, so I was trying to get out of that contract and get in with the guard. I started finding out about this thing called AGR, you know, the active guard reserve and, and recruiting and stuff like that. Um, so I called one of the Sergeant majors who was here in the state and lo and behold, back in the early nineties, he was in third ranger battalion. So when he heard I was coming off of active from second Ranger battalion, he's like, I want you and you're going to come and work for us. So they made things happen as far as getting me pulled from the reserves into the guard, you know, with a conditional release and, and brought me into the guard. Uh, so I left active duty September, 2015 and uh, joined the guard in December, 2015 and came right on to a year full-time orders for recruiting. Um, those got renewed. I went to recruiter school. Um, I was working out at Janesville um, working all the high schools in the Janesville area. Um, and then pulled AGR, uh, like March of 2017. So I'm just, I just hit my three year AGR mark. 
Um, so I've been in the guard for four. Um, so I recruited for about two years out of Janesville um, and then moved to Whitewater um, to teach the ROTC program there. Um, that was not at all what I expected it to be. Um, I was just thinking I wanted, I really wanted to do more uh, instructing. Um, you know, I have, I've got a lot of knowledge and, and stuff that I've learned in my time in range regiment and going through all the courses and stuff. Um, so I wanted to be able to pass that off and, and teach more of it. Um, and I thought I could do that in ROTC, but ROTC is very cadet ran with minimal cadre oversight. We're more there to keep them on point, but let them run their training. Um, so it was really hard. Like I could, you know, I, I could give, and I, I did give insight and input and things here and there, but it wasn't kind of what I was expecting. So I did that for a year. Just a different focus. It sounds like. Yeah. And, and I mean, I get it, you know, obviously it's not so much of a course to where, Hey, learn this and take this back. It's we're developing the future officers and the national guard. So, I mean, I get it. Uh, it's just not what I was expecting. Um, but I was, I was planning on being there for three years. Uh, but back in September of 2019, um, my boss asked if I wanted to come back and, you know, be a production recruiter for him again. Um, they were losing their, the recruiter that worked there on campus with me. And so he's like, you know, you'll stay on whitewater campus. He's like, I'm just going to move you from ROTC instructor to, you know, the, the recruiter there. Um, so I took that and started doing that. Well then back in February, I got, uh, I got the offer to get promoted and take over uh and charlie troop so now we're looking to transition back into the infantry world and uh all that good stuff well that sounds exciting i know that like <clears throat> you know being in a different role and being kind of away from doing that hands-on teaching and and getting out there kind of on the line you know i imagine you're looking forward to that yeah for sure you know i've Recruiting was fun. Uh, you know, we, we kind of hit a little bit on it um, earlier uh, as far as, you know, how, how I kind of viewed my recruiting and, and how I kind of went about it. Um, but I've always, like when I was recruiting, like I always felt like, underutilized. Like I wasn't doing what I signed up to, you know, like going way back to the beginning of all this, you know, I signed up because I, I wanted to, to serve, protect, defend, you know, I, take the fight to the bad guy instead of having it come here. And as a recruiter, you are impacting that obviously in a, in a more of an indirect route by bringing in the new force to kind of keep that going. But again, like I said, when I, you know, when I was looking to get into the teaching is I wanted to be able to share my, my experience and my knowledge. And you can't do that always with the recruits because not all of them are joining for the same reason. And some of the stories that, you know, some of the stories we've told today would probably scare away some of these fucking young kids and be like, Oh, I don't want to have duct tape on my dick and I don't want to X, Y, and Z type things, you know? And yeah, um, so definitely excited to get back into it, you know, and, and learn, uh, you know, learn a, a lot new, um, information, new, new skills and trade techniques and, and then be able to help pass off whatever I can at the same time. Yeah. I gotta tell you, like during across my entire military experience, all the leaders that I had that were ranger qualified, you know, not even necessarily having like bad time or whatever, but just just having that tab, like they set themselves apart just from what they went, you know, in the training environment, what they went through and, and all the best leaders I had were, were uh, at least tab. Right. It's definitely like the Ranger school is definitely a, is a, is a good school for leadership stuff. You know, it, it, it teaches you a lot of stuff. Like how often is, is an enlisted individual, 
you know, do we really participate in, in op order planning? You know, we, we help out with maybe the plan a little bit. And unless you make it to like the E78 level where you're actually doing paragraphs four and five, you know, for command and signal, not even really command and signal, but more of the sustainment stuff, like you don't do a whole lot, you know, but as Rangers, like I said, as a private, I was now learning what officers and senior NCOs are doing. So exactly. you know, that's, yeah. that's something that carries you, you know, far along in your military careers for sure. So I think your soldiers are going to be well served having you in a, in a position to train them up and get them ready for whatever comes next, you know? Hey, shit. For the next year and a half, they're going to be teaching me more than I'm going to be teaching them because I got a lot to learn about this. I guess so, yeah. Things keep changing. Yeah. One of the things I think it's interesting is like your transition out, you know, you kind of lightly transition into the reserves and back over to the guard and reintegration is a really big topic post 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it should have been a big topic way before then, but it, it is now. And so like, what are some of the challenges maybe you've experienced in your process with one foot in, one foot out, but coming back to the civilian world? Um, turning it off, honestly. Um, you know, and I, I really, I really had to turn it off even, even again, being still active duty within the, you know, the guard. Uh, but I had to really turn it off as far as just getting into recruiting, you know, cause now, like I said, is, is I'm dealing with kids more than I'm really dealing with soldiers and I, I'm going into high schools and having to, uh, you know, portray a more that, that professionalism and, and things to, to not bring a bad name and blemish to the guard and the, and the army in general. Um, so really, like I said, just turning it off and getting out of that. It, and it sucked. And it's going to be hard because I'm having to do it again now. I had to get out of that NCO role, right? I couldn't treat these kids like I could treat my privates in E4s when I was in E6 active duty. You know, I've got to be, like I said, more of their buddy. Um, where now I'm getting, you know, I can still be friendly with the guys, but I got to get back in that NCO role of I'm your, you know, I'm your subordinate um, and all that good stuff. So I'm confident you're going to pull it off. I mean, you can just, just back to those days when you were a tab D4 running around raging on people. Yeah. Well, I can't do that so much nowadays. Like I said, I don't want to get, I don't want to get the, get the, the PP slap for hazing. Um but yeah, like I said, turning it off is one of the big challenges. And then just um, not being afraid to, to reach out, um, you know, to, to get help. Uh, whether you think it or not, like I said, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge example of it. And, and I've talked my story to a couple of people. And, I, you know, if you guys want, I don't mind. I mean, it's not anything crazy. You know, like I said, you know, I was, again, coming from Range Regiment, you know, I'm, I, I thought I was invincible. You know, I did all the stuff that I had done. Um, you know, you're, you're trained more so within that community to kind of be stone faced, no emotions, you know, everything can be thought analytic and solved analytically. Um, Mm. emotions just cloud judgment, which creates more havoc on the battlefield. Um, and so that add and jump in there is like, I don't think that that's wrong. Like, I think that that's completely right. It's just a matter of how do we rewire ourselves when we come. Exactly. And I agree. You know, it definitely does. You can't let, you can't let your emotions run action on the battlefield because then there's going to be just more chaos. Um, but yeah, it is, it is the, how do you get the rewired, you know, and the army says that they'll take care of you and you believe it when you're in and then you get out and you realize that it's not that way. Um, so like I said, my, my thing was, I never, I never had, um, never thought I had issues. You know, I thought, Hey, I'm fine. You know, I'm going to be able to do this. Um, and because I was so closed off that kept me closed off from my ex. Uh, 
so as the divorce is kind of coming along and everything, I started realizing that I just did have a lot, a lot of things were starting to weigh down on me. Um, you know, I, I never had like suicidal thoughts or, you know, I always had my kids, no matter what, my kids were always my rock and my saving grace. So I always knew like, no matter how dark and how heavy things got for me, like my kids meant more to me than anything else. And I needed to be there for them. So that was always, you know, my kind of saving grace. Um, but it hit me really hard once my, my ex and my, my kids, when they finally moved out of the house and then I'm going to work, going to the gym and everything. And then I'm coming home to my old house that's empty by myself. So I, I got into a bad place with drinking a lot. Uh, and I was, I was doing about a bottle of Jameson a day. Um, mm -hmm. I'd go to work. I'd, I was working out a lot. I'd go to the gym for two hours. I mean, I was in really good shape as far as being back into the gym and stuff. Um, but I was just, you know, things to keep me occupied, keep my mind off of it until I got home. And then, I got home and I, like I said, I would, I would basically drink and until I fell asleep, uh, wake up and rinse, lather, repeat, you know? Um, so I did that for about like three weeks. Uh, honestly, it was about three weeks, just a bottle a day. It was, it was bad. Uh, and I realized like, okay, did some internal. I'm like, I've, I've got issues. I need some help. Um, so I broke down one day and, uh, I called the, um, how was it? Military Crisis one line? source military one source yeah. military one source yeah yeah i called them um you know uh, just told them i'm like hey you know I'm, I'm having issues with just kind of reintegrating and getting a lot of things off my mind and whatnot and so they they looked linked me up with uh, a local person in the area to start doing some talk therapy counseling and stuff um one of my buddies uh, who i used to ride with uh is the founder of hua uh you guys are probably familiar with hua helping out our american heroes um, he is the founder of first Hua, which is in Minnesota. We have fourth Hua up in fourth, Green Bay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, I know about fourth Hua. Yeah. Um, so they do a lot of really good stuff. Well, the, the guy that I ride with, um, who's the founder of first Hua, they have a partnership with a, um, a veterans group called veterans alternative based out of, uh, Tampa down in Florida. Uh, what they do, it's, it's a week long retreat for veterans that are struggling with PTSD, depression, and like reintegration stuff. Um, so they, Hua, uh, flew me down, paid for my airfare, my hotel, and set me up for the week with uh, Veterans Alternative. Um, and they do a lot of, um, they do art, uh, the uh, Accelerated Resolution Therapy, I believe is what it stands for. Um, so they do, they do that. Uh, what that is, is it basically incorporates like rapid eye movement that you get, you know, in REM sleep. Um, it's super real. It's super trippy the first time you do it because what you do, so instead of talking therapy, right? Uh, what this does is it almost puts you more in like a trance, like you were sleeping and you start reliving like a movie, like the scenes that are haunting you the most. Sounds a lot it's, like EMDR. Is that Yeah, I, it's, it's very similar. Um, okay. so it, right. it's very real. It puts you back into it. So like the biggest thing that was haunting me a lot of it is, you know, my buddy, my team leader, Joel, when he got killed um, okay. and just a couple other things. And so like, it was like, I could hear like the gunshots. I could taste like the dirt in the air and the gunpowder. I could smell it. I could, it was, you know, it's super real. And so usually like you, know, I did, you break down, it's just super emotional. So we did that every day though, for a couple hours. Um, that sounds exhausting. It is. It's very, you know, one of my buddies um, who was a, a Panama vet, uh, he went through it. He's actually a licensed therapist. So he was going through it to actually uh, be able to do it to veterans. Um, so when he was going through the training to learn how to, you know, be able to successfully provide that, 
um, he, he came up to me one day and he just gave me a hug and broke down. He's like, dude, he's like, I can't believe what you like that you went through this. He's like, literally an hour ago, I was sitting in the chair and I was back in Panama again. He's like, this shit works. And it, it's, it takes, I forget how the study, and I, I knew it at one point, the numbers, but they say it takes months or years of therapy that you could do talk therapy and smushes it down into just a, a week session. And just, it helps you get over it. So what you do is it's like you visualize this scene of whatever is haunting or hurting or holding you back the most. Sure. And then you play it through once. And then when you go back through, you start kind of eliminating. It's not the fact that it happened. You can't rewire your brain of what happened, but you start to re-image feelings, right? So like, like I obviously, like I, I can talk about it and I can relive the, the mission and it happened, right? Joel, you know, he got shot. Like, um, but the feeling like, obviously there's still the sadness and stuff, but it's not the haunting, you know, feelings that you might have that come with a lot of people that have, you know, like PTSD or other things. Uh, and then, they, the, you know, Veterans Alternative, they also incorporate, different therapies they did music we did uh they do a, a a yoga that's like a combat more focused yoga they do like this thing i forget exactly what it's called but it's like a power nap you put like weighted beans over your eyes and then like this lady basically talks like this mantra and you you fall asleep for like three to five minutes but it feels like you slept for like an eight to ten hour night like you wake up after five minutes feeling so rested it was so like it was awesome i cannot yeah, remember shavasana does, no. does the word shavasana mean anything? Like, find no. No, I want to do this. What is that? I want to do I'll, this. I'll have to, I'll have, I'll look <laughs> it up. I'll look it up. And I, when I find it, Adam, I'll shoot, I'll shoot the information to you so that you can get it to everybody. And, and I'm sorry for the podcast that it won't be in here. Cause I can't remember the name of it, but it was still, it was really, really cool. Like literally you're like, you're just laying there and like, you're like, I'm not going to fall asleep. And all of a sudden you're like, and all of a sudden you're like back up, you know, and you're like, how long was I out? Like you really feel like you slept a perfect night's sleep, but it was like five minutes. It sounds like, like it was a mindfulness ex exercise that was kind of rooted in hypnotherapy is really what it sounds like. Probably. And so, know, but uh, it works. Uh, yeah, totally. And so they talk you through the ability to tune yourself down. I'm sure it was like a, some type of progressive relaxation technique where yeah. you actually can knock out for a minute. It is and, like she, you, know, when you, you, you take, you focus on your breath and then like, okay, focus on, pushing down like your left arm, you know, and take yep. a deep breath and now focus on feeling your right arm and your finger, you know, it's like, it's like really mantra ish. Um, so they do that. We did a, there's a fighting style and I, I, I'm, I got a bad brain. So, so <laughs> I, I use that excuse with my wife all the time. Like when she tells me to do things, uh, but it's true. I've got, I, I've hit my, I've hit my head a few too many times on airborne jumps and been too close to too many ex explosions. Um, so as much as I joke about it, it's an honest to God truth that my brain doesn't work the way that it should. Um, so I forget a lot of stuff, but they, we did this fighting style to where it incorporates multi movements with both arms. Um, and the, the purpose behind it is, you know, everyone knows like we don't use our full brain, right? We use like 10% of our brain at any given time. So what this fighting style does is it incorporates both brains working together because um, you're using multiple. It was super cool and it's super relaxing and a really fun time. And then we did, like I said, other yoga and different things. So um, really good. But when I was down there, I, I cut out alcohol, um, came back and started doing therapy. And it, it helped me a lot, you know, move me out of that dark place that I was in. Um, I got back into drinking a little bit uh, for a while. And then like the day that I actually – the day that I met my current wife now was the day I started drinking again. And it was cause she was a bartender and she got me drunk. 
Yeah, do what you gotta do, you know. Oh my god, I got I got plastered that night, and then I got jumped by three dudes in downtown Rockford, and I was like, "Why the fuck did I start drinking again?" I'm like, this is miserable, you know. Uh, so the universe uh, is like, well, yeah, not so fast. <laughs> yeah, stop it, Josh. Don't be drinking. So, no, honestly, um, you know, I, I drink beer and some wine here and there, but I haven't touched liquor uh, in about 18, 20 months now, um, with the exception of. Um, I did do a, a baby pull of Jameson at a buddy of mine's funeral. Um, you guys, so you, I don't remember national guard, Wisconsin type. You said you were in did a little bit of that. Yeah. So does the name Josh Hass ring a bell for any of you guys? H a S S I've seen that name somewhere before. Yeah. That name sounds so familiar. He just passed away. Um, actually it's coming up oh that's cadre josh he did yeah, he did a lot of yeah. go rucks right oh, yeah, yeah. Go rucks yes, yeah, yeah. Right. cadre josh josh rooney yep. yeah that was um, wild. good buddy of mine he was yeah. in he was in ranger regiment he rode in the motorcycle club that i was in for a while um he passed away last year to to cancer uh well we went up for his funeral a uh, bunch of us ranger guys all passed around a bottle and i was like you know what i'm like fuck it like there's one time for a good shot and that's right now yeah, I almost puked because I hadn't drank liquor in so long, but, um, yeah. So like, you know, I definitely have just eliminated those things that you don't need that just add more chaos and confusion in times to where, you know, we need to try to keep as clear of a head as we possibly can, you know, going through and seeing the things that we've all done and gone through and, and then just continue, like I said, at this point, like now it's, I try to tell that story as more of, like I said, is just what I, got off on that tangent to begin with is don't be afraid to reach out you know like you might not think you need help and maybe you don't but just talk to somebody because it's going to help you know uh well, whether it it's like, sorry go ahead yeah no it sounds like you have a really good mix now and i'm sure you sharing you know to the extent that you have today is going to be helpful to other folks that hear this yeah i hope so you know and like i said that's that's all we can do and i know that's like what you guys are out here for you know is the more that we can try to reach and, and help and show that we actually are here, like we're holding up the army's promise without the army holding it up for them. You know, like the army in whole might not be here for you. You know, realistically, they weren't there for most of us while we were in to begin with. You know, we all, we all know about the big green weenie, uh, you know, but here we are, you know, whether we're still in or we're out for a couple of years or whatever it might be um, doing what we possibly can for our brothers and sisters in arms, you know, that's what we're, that's what we're about. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. So a little segment we're going to be adding here is a little bit of a rapid fire question and answer phase for you, Josh. So Fuck. Karen's going to send us some questions. <laughs> the right. first thing that you can think of, let Stretch. it fly. Stretch it. They're not, they're not tough questions. They're easy questions. I didn't know I was on a fucking promotion board today, guys. Come on. <laughs> yep. Okay. First one, what was or is your favorite MRE? Oh, um, meatloaf. Oh, all right. Because. Okay. <laughs> yes, that, yeah, this, is, this is where it gets interesting. It had the most food. It might not have, now, yeah. it, it may, mentally, the, I believe all the MREs across the board are relatively similar in the calorie intake. If you really look at them all, they're not too far mm -hmm. off. But mentally, you think you're getting so much more food when you eat the meatloaf because there's just so much there. And then they switched it over to brisket, which is- What? Yeah, they did away with meatloaf back in – it was in ranger school. I remember we got in, – in ranger school, the chaplain came out in Florida phase and was talking with us, and he brought a case of the new MREs, and there was no meatloaf. I was fucking mad, but there was brisket, and it is just as good. Nice. Oh, okay. So, All right. there you go. 
So follow up to that. What was the grossest thing you ate while in the military? Grossest thing I ate while in the military? I would probably go with an MRE that was the egg omelet. Oh, yeah. That that veggie egg omelet or whatever the hell it was. was It looked looked like fucking pasteurized vomit. Yeah, great. There's there's literally like 53 grams of just saturated fat in that thing. Right. I mean, that's probably the grossest looking. I mean, I've ate some nasty stuff obviously you know like i said I, I've, I've lived off of some some bugs and some gross things um i'll come back to a story i don't want to steal in case it's a question but <laughs> nastiest thing i've ever done we'll we'll do that here shortly. okay deal all right uh where do you get a haircut shit um so nowadays i've started getting haircuts at haircuttery it's a place down here i don't know if they have them up there in, in wisconsin i found it right here so i was so i love my hair up and up until about a few months ago I, I just got lazy with it but i used to always have really long hair combed over hard part i love my hair um so i was always going to a barber uh, I in love hair. <laughs> yeah i was going to a, a barber in janesville um her name's jennifer she owns a, it's called the sweet spot in janesville plug you're welcome jennifer send us a check <laughs> you're welcome um no yeah. so i was going to her all the time when i was in the janesville area but now since things have happened and moved and switched i found a place a little bit more local i don't like going around too often because most people don't understand not high and tight you know they hear military they think high and tight well no i like long hair nice tapered fade clean look like not high and tight so hair cuttery hair cuttery okay what was the most uncomfortable mode of transportation that you rode in? Kettle trucks. Yeah. Except okay. except for yes. fully a fully combat load with a full chalk on a Chinook. Yeah. Because when we rolled them overseas, we didn't do seats in. So everybody's on the floor, nut to butt, smushing the shit out of each other. So if you're the unfortunate soul who sits behind the guy who comes in with the NART bag, he's got the big medical bag. And that shit sits right on your femorals, and now you're getting up with no feeling in your legs, trying to run off. Yeah. In the fun, but kettle it's trucks were definitely kettle trucks were definitely a nightmare, for sure. Okay, so your cuddle buddy that you mentioned, I yes. want to know: uh, Do you guys still cuddle? No. And do you at least? Unfortunately. Oh, do, do you talk to him anymore? Not as often as I'd like to. Uh, he okay. lives out in Spokane with the wife, and I. They just had their second kid, um, so we've you know, kind of, he, uh, he left a couple years before I did. He had a pretty severe TBI that mm-hmm. pushed him out. Um, and so I think because of that, he kind of distanced himself quite a bit, unfortunately from a lot of guys. Um, so I, you know, we don't talk nearly as much as I'd like to. We, we check in once every so often to see how everybody's doing. And then he starts off with the air conditioning, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now your story of the nastiest thing that you did while in the military. Um, so there I was, no shit, in the middle of Afghanistan, right? Every good story's <laughs> got to start like that. Um, <clears throat> so just go clear and secure on this compound, and I'm in charge of searching all the dudes. And I don't have rubber gloves. And so I'm up in, I'm up in you know, dudes' junks checking to make sure they got nothing hidden. Finish checking the last guy, pull out my can of Copenhagen, pack that shit, put it in my lip, and I'm like, oh, no. No, no. <laughs> so much nut juice. So much nasty Haji nut juice on all you my. Teabagged oh, you teabagged oh. yourself. Yeah, you teabagged yourself. <laughs> I, I I doubled up on Doxy as soon as I got back, hoping it would kill anything in my so, system. Chemoprophylaxis <laughs> after the fact. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Dude, that's, oh, that's when you got to be friends with the medic, man. You stay. Yeah, <laughs> give me a shot in the butt, man. Um. Yeah, that was. Uh, 
Wow. Oh, you know, I'm pretty sure that like I'll never get sick with anything because of that. COVID nope. immune. You're good to go. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm everything. No coronavirus hitting me. You know, I, I didn't nope. get I didn't get any. Uh, we did do a me and my buddy went into this infirmatory one time. We didn't uh, didn't realize infirmary. We didn't realize it. And it was the um, <clears throat> tuberculosis ward. I fucking. We're like, why is there like 60 dudes all stacked on top of each other in here? And the Terps like, oh, that's the TB ward. We're like, oh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> hey, one thing real quick. Uh, speaking of COVID, what do you, what kind of changes are you seeing? What are you, what's your take? You know, what's just kind of hot take? COVID, go. So I'm one of those, it, maybe I'm just being naive, but I, I find it really hard to get myself in a panic. Uh, I think I agree that we need to take steps to try to nip this in the butt. It's like what we talked about earlier that it's one of those little things that could definitely, if it's not nipped in the butt soon enough, can turn very severe fast and it is severe. Right. But I don't foresee it going the way that so many people keep trying to say it's going to happen. You look at, and again, now we're not a communistic country, right? So we can't do some of the things like that China could do as far as, we, you know, we really can't incorporate, I mean, we could do a martial law, which everybody thinks has already fucking happened because the guard's been activated. Right. But even if we did a martial law, we can't say stay in your house. We're going to fucking shoot you like they did in China. Right. So we really can't fully quarantine the entire country for a couple week period to try to get this thing done. Okay. Now, but with that being said, look at China, China's got 1.3 billion people. The United States only has 300 and some odd million, right? So they got a billion more people than we do. And they're only just broke 80,000 cases and they were the first country to have it. So you're telling me in almost four months since this thing outbroke in China, out of 1.3 billion people, they've got 80,000 cases and we're fucking paranoid in our 350 million that we're, oh my God, we're at 18,000 cases. It's all going to kill everybody. Uh, Like I said, maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm just being like that. I don't want to believe it. I think it's going to be over before we know it. Yes, there's going to be people, sadly to say that there's going to be people die, right? But how many people die a day worldwide before a COVID-19 outbreak? Asking good questions. So I guess we're going to have to to stand fast and figure out what the hell's going to happen, right? You know, yeah, like like I said, do, I mean, as long as you're doing the same things that you should be doing as a fucking healthy human being to begin with. Yeah, wash your fucking hands. You're washing your hands and you're not fucking inhaling somebody's cough and sneeze in your face. Like, and I, and I get it. You can't assume that everybody's doing the same stuff. So you can't assume like if I go to the store, right, maybe I am doing the right things, but I touch something that some nasty fuckers like for instance, all over a a terrorist crotch. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I don't go around just grabbing dudes crotches nowadays and then putting fucking dip on them. Gotta use the elbow. Very good. Yeah. It's it's everything elbows nowadays. (laughs) Or, Or I'm gonna do social distancing and say, sir, touch yourself from six feet away from me. It's like, I make sure you don't have a bomb on your dick or duct tape or duct tape. <laughs> wash your hands. Josh. And, and wash your hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you join us today. You know, we've that's pushed it? pretty long today. That's We're all the questions. It. Yeah. That, that's it, it, man. That's the rapid fire is done. You it's said, you said we were going to start with Karen. I thought it was going to go down. Like I was going to be like, sorry, major. I don't know the answer to this question at this time. No, no, not a chance. <laughs> all right. Well, sorry to cut you off. You can edit. No, you're fine, man. Over. No, I got an uh, I got an appointment at Harley to go pick up my bike between four and five. I'm I thought you already got it. Oh no, no have... you said you went there to get it. Yeah, that's right. Never mind. They're, it's finally done. They finally got it ready. I just got to go give them the money and get it out of there before they shut down. Because if their employees yeah. stop coming to work, 
Like if we yeah. do the same thing Illinois did, I'm not getting that bike out. Right. right. Yeah, we could have a real, we could have a. That starts in an hour. I should probably go make sure I got enough bangs to last me for a couple of days. <laughs> but stay safe down there, man. It's, it's exciting to hear that the next step you've got in your career, uh, moving your family up by the Dells, you know, you'll be up in kind of my neighborhood at that point, riding that you'll have to jump yes, on sir. Harley with us too. And, uh, get you out and about, but no, you've, you've got a killer story, man. It's awesome to hear, uh, how you went in, how you ended up in, in getting over to Ranger school or getting into the regiment, the, the evolution of all the deployments, the combat cycles, the up, the op tempo. Um, yeah, Josh, I really gotta say, I appreciate you sharing, man. And it's great to like meet you and become connected in this manner. Awesome conversation. Thank you so much. And, uh, of course I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate everything. And, all of you guys, Karen Wills, like, you know, I'm, I'm uh, go first, Karen. Sorry. <laughs> no, uh, I just want to say thank you too. This was a delightful conversation. And I think you really shared some, some things that will hopefully if other people hear this, it will help them in their journey. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I, I really appreciate it. Like Adam, you know, you obviously reaching out and, and want me to even come and do this. And then for you guys sitting on the line now with me as I jab my jaw for three hours, um, you know, hopefully you can edit like 90% of this out and just keep it to the good stuff. And <laughs> no, man, not uh, it, brother. It's all good. <laughs> no, but no, honestly, like I said, I, I do, I do appreciate it. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, for those that, you know, do listen to it, it they can take something away and, and then, you know, it's just, it's, that's what, like I said, that's what we're here for. So yeah, stay focused, you know, when, when, when life knocks you down, take a knee, reset, get back up and, and drive on, you know, like life's going to keep throwing stuff at us and we got to keep working. And I hope that others, are, as they're hitting the reintegration period and stuff, you know, just plow through, get, get around the right people and, and stay focused. For sure. For sure. Well, cool. Fight man. or die. Keep it up. Fight or die. Hell yeah. You guys have a good one. Thank you again. And we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Cool. Yeah, take care, thank man. you. You as well. Later, guys. Yeah, air conditioning. Air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.